Uncharted, Uncharted is out. The only thing I know that it came out is uh, the Jennifer it did. That came out this weekend, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah Mary Me is out. We're going right there. And this is if you're like wrong, I would believe you. We got a heart out. We're gonna go see Mary Me. It's on. It's on Peacock. The best movies go straight to Peacock. Man, they're so good. They got their. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying that for years. That's Super Bowl counter. Tom Brady. Super Bowl out. Marry me in. At the Super Bowl, and it's like live. And it's the halftime show. Yeah, exactly. It's like a net, but it's, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I think Baby Ned shows up at the end of Mary May. <laughs> Just like a net. <laughs> hey, America, remember a net? Pepsi presents Mary <laughs> Sparks does all the music for Mary May, and nobody has a good time. America's favorite band. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's great, great sports music, music, but Jennifer Lopez is kind of looking the camera the entire time. It's like time. really like, abrasive. Oh, yeah. What is what is this? She never gets yeah. the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> got it You're just joining us. <laughs> you married Owen Wilson. That's what you do. It's <laughs> <laughs> your job. You love to have in this movie. You look sad and rich. Mary Owen Wilson. I just realized that movie is an Anaconda reunion. Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson are both in Anaconda. I didn't know he was in Anaconda. Or I guess I forgot he was in Mary Me is a sequel to Anaconda. The music by Sparks. Wow. I agree with you, honestly. Did you imagine at the end of the movie, the wedding, the snake crashes the wedding? Okay, that would get a lot more butts and seats if uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh my god, John Boyd. <laughs> why does nobody ask John Boyd to do that performance again? No, that was Boyd his finest hour. From the dead. He's like, like <laughs> making Angelina Jolie and doing the Anaconda performance, I think, are the two things that we're going to remember him for. It was. I'm sorry. Yeah. In in the, in the factory, factory, you know the factory where Chester Cheeto pulls the lever for dangerously <laughs> cheesy. Like he's That's where AI. John Boyd meets Angelina she's Jolie. The, she's the. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, every time she opens her mouth, Jennifer like, Lopez yeah, doesn't yeah. even speak it's in like Mary Me. Just sparks music. My planet just, it just drowns her out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so sorry, sorry you invited us onto your film show. We've derailed it in the first five minutes. We're talking about the movie. It's, <laughs> it's just riffing. Never yeah. will. Spanter. Absolutely oh never going to see. But <laughs> we none of us have seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's like so we'll be quiet Okay, I gotta introduce this thing. Hello and welcome.
and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me to play a session of vodka, it's Tyler Harford. I'm going to guess not a good one. I got coffee. We're recording in the morning for once. It's a a change of scenery. (laughs) No, it is good. Very Mm. pro-morning. Anti-night. <laughs> no, I'm not anti-night. It is a gentleman's morning, pursuit. Pro, pro, pro all day, every yeah. day, uh, especially when we're and talking now. Ridley Scott. That's all I think that's all we want. Every man just wants their grand <laughs> Ridley Scott take. Man, is that all child? we're after? Yeah, every person, really. I mean, truly. <laughs> um, Tyler, what have you been watching recently? <laughs> Um, I haven't been pretty busy, haven't been able to watch much. The only movie I've seen in the past week is a rewatch of oh, nice. Deer Hunter. Uh, pretty, pretty good. Better than I remembered it being. Um, there's a lot going on <laughs> there. It's good De Niro, for sure. Um, good De Niro, good Christopher Walken. Uh, very defined yeah. three X structure. It's definitely Chimino at the height of. Uh, but yeah, it's... Power, their powers. Um, I you know I've talked about I, a few I, times. I take umbrage. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, from you know, what yeah. I understand, <laughs> I take umbrage with the highest quick powers. Um, sorry, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you know, like I've talked about. I take umbrage with the idea of him uh, falling off. About... I think the Sicilian he fell off for, oh, but yeah, I think yeah, everything no, else okay. he directed is wonderful. I think You're the Dragon, and Desperate Hours, and Suck Chaser are a plus. Yeah, yeah, Heaven's Gate, amazing movie. And the one after it is also very good. Um, I'll check them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, No, yeah, and I talked about a few Best Picture winners that I'm going through on on the show. I'm going through all of them every Sunday. And this one was just amazing. I didn't know really anything about it uh, when I first saw it. I think I got to it in August. Um, I knew that it was Vietnam, but not much else. Um, yeah, it's, it's perfect. I think it's one of the best first discoveries I had. Very much like a great encapsulation of like the anxiety in the uh, 70s. It's it's like, you know, if best picture is supposed to represent like the time, I think that's a great example. Definitely. And it's definitely is talked about as like one of the Vietnam movies of the era. But when you watch it, it's notable that. Uh, the movie's actually only set in Vietnam for like a third of the runtime, and in the the um, middle section, that, most of the movie is back the middle in section their like hangs over it like, very well. Um, like you can feel its presence throughout, right? The back half, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. It's Have really you seen Heaven's Gate? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd recommend. I'd recommend. No. It. Yeah. I I'll definitely. Yeah. I, I, I've heard stories about the. I think it's definitely grown people's estimation. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to check it out. Yeah. Um, and I also heard, uh, obviously, John Cazales in Deer Hunter, and he passed away before the movie oh even God. came out, uh, which is very sad. And yeah. he was dating Meryl Streep at the time. And, and Meryl was very adamant uh, that she maybe didn't want him cast in the movie because she knew that he was. He was ill, so it's very unfortunate to see like 
you know, he still loved working with the, with that cast and, you know, De Niro was a great friend and yeah, it was in all, by all accounts, he's just a great, great person. Um, yeah, really tragic. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, I'm, I'm still doing some 2021 catch up. Uh, one they really responded to was Bergman Island, which recently uh, was put on Hulu. It's from me, Henson Love, who I've always known of, heard of, and heard about. But this is my first one that I've seen. Um, yeah, it's about a couple of screenwriters, or a screenwriter couple, that moved to the island that Ingmar Berman did most of his writing and shooting. Uh, and it's, it's basically about the ideas that they come up with during their excavate. Or like, um, I don't know if that's the right word, Like, yeah, I, I guess so, but yeah, it's, it's really good. It's like a lot of like the ideas that he had during productions and how that influences their work and what that means to them as a couple. Like, I think they sleep in the seedbed that they shot scenes of a marriage. And it's like, what is, what does that mean to them as, as they further their relationship? It's yeah. And it's really good. And, uh, Andrews, Daniel Lee and Mio Basakaska. Um, basically are projections of their own story that they create on Hulu, later on in the movie. Uh, some great needle drops. No, it's, it's good. I have not seen... Um, I, uh, I've seen a couple of... Her, nice. I've been hearing a lot about that. She's very obviously uh, quite good at what she does. I, I, I had sort of heard that this was maybe a movie that found her sort of creatively foundering because that was how I felt about the one that she made in 2018, which was sort of too aimless for Americans. They didn't try to play it over here. It didn't have the New York Film Festival slot like her work usually does. So I'm glad to hear that this new one is good. Mm. Hi. Hello. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Um, Scott DeFoya, Tucker Johnson are here. With us today. Thanks for being here, guys. Yeah. Moonfall. Yeah. Um, Actually, anything you guys yeah, liked yeah, recently I, that you want to shout the, out? The, the, I, I love response. <laughs> it's the second week. That's the second episode. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. I, recently, I we talked uh, Moonfall on our Blackout episode. At this very point, funny. people are going to the yeah. movies to watch Spider Man and, like, Ricardo's. And the record. No one's going to see. No, I know. No one is. But, but yeah, I mean, everyone's going to the movies for that. And the whole time we were sitting in the theater watching Moonfall, we're just kind of leaning over to each other like, what what does this movie not have that everyone is rushing out to, like, every Spider Man? I mean, the, the stakes are just high. The planets get destroyed and everything's blowing up and flooding. And... They've even got like other dimensions and alien races and stuff. There's really very little separating it from the usual crop of stuff that comes out. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't fucking get it. I guess it's, I mean, you know, it's the, we have this discussion at once a week, which is the, the reason that movies don't make money anymore is because the audience can't point at the screen and go, I know him. Yeah, that's Wolverine. What is, what is he doing in Ghostbusters? <laughs> well, I, I watched that. Uh... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is Wolverine doing being a Ricardo? What is he doing in being the Ricardo? He's doing that. I watched, I watched Kimmy, Kimmy this morning. <laughs> 
I would say that's it would be I, now. I would you say that Moonfall is Emmerich's best film since Godzilla 1998? Good movie. Well, hang on. On this yeah, pod, I we've done for the first time. Independence Day resurgence, and we didn't. I was like, this is all right. I don't think there's. I don't think there's much wrong with that movie. That you know, having a hangover while you watch it can't cure. Yeah. Um, I love Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had a good. He had a good decade, man, because he made. Uh, I think that's Anonymous, the bar, which is his best film. Oh, so good. Um. Twenty twelve was two thousand and nine, which is ironic. <laughs> well, not ironic. That's the wrong word. Uh, poorly timed, I guess, is maybe what I was looking for. Um, but uh, okay, yeah. That's yeah. true. If only well, I remember right. in two thousand nine, people legit were like twenty twelve. Yeah, man, yeah, yeah, that's that was what I think it was like, Drew McQueenie. People were really talking about that. Day. Day. Like, oh wow, is maybe something what happened? the Mayans had predicted wasn't the end of the world, but indeed the movie twenty twelve. predicted Roland Emmerich. The Mayans predicted Roland Emmerich. Um, uh, we both. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good movie too, man. I'm telling you, he's better than people can pray for. And he actually like gives you shit. Like, like he made a global warming movie when it was not one. super popular to take that shit to Hollywood. Um, and uh, Day After Tomorrow, yeah, good movie. Um, Midway also rules. Seeing that in theaters, was and you're talking about Day After Tomorrow. I mean, like everything he does now, I don't quite understand how that happens. But again, it's oh yeah, that kind of came and went, didn't it? You have to recognize everyone from you know your high school yearbook in order to enjoy yourself. I think they're all movies that people see trailers for, don't go see them, and then like Redbox them, and like this movie's fine. And it's like, yeah, when you were meant to see it on a fifty-foot screen, yeah, with the fucking rumbling chairs and shit. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Okay, well, there's yeah, they, they keep giving it. So it's like the studio can recognize that people pay money to see it, and they can make more of it. Yeah, Roland Emmerich is never. It's never. I don't think he's ever, you know, done the you know, open his purse and a moth flies out kind of a deal. I don't yeah. think that Roland Emmerich has ever wanted for cash, um, even though the last like seven haven't been successes because Stonewall can't have made any money. No, no, it's not. And people are being very snide about it in a way that I, I think at this time, it's like I, we want. Money, but it's, I, do, it's not. It doesn't have. It's not a fucking franchise, and that's all you're getting now. And you're yeah. gonna what? You're all gonna make fun of Roland Emmerich because he likes destroying the world. Mm-hmm. He's, he's never once expressed interest in how they. And he doesn't want to see how they. Frankly, what it's like being. And is that all? It's just never a thing that he has ever given any kind of air or oxygen to. And I salute him for that. That's the third act of Moonfall. They get to the moon. They go inside of it, and they find them. It's the writers' room. (laughs) They find the writers' room for Lucy Show. Um, (laughs) It really is. They find the Ricardo and go through time to stop the McConaughey pounding on the walls. Write a better sketch! Um, we both saw Kimmy. We both saw and loved Kimmy. That was Kimmy's, awesome. Kimmy's good. Good movie. Yeah. It's just He's the fucking best, man. To see a movie that like has... I'm probably going to get to it very soon. Sort of breaks one of my favorites. Yeah, that, that was what it was for me. Is It's clearly just a guy who's so good at making movies. 
just making a movie. It's it's the stakes aren't world rocking or anything. It's just like like it's also it's dark enough that you kind of do think that at any moment they're gonna like really do away with this person in a horrible horrible fa- like they, it's I was on the edge of my seat. I loved it. I thought it was great. Cliff Martinez doing probably his best score. Incredible. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love Cliff Martinez scores. Especially as one, I mean, I yeah. talked about it oh, yeah. during uh, our Spring Burgers episode, but um, the Solaris right score is one of my favorites ever. I, I think that's impeccable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tyler, you've seen some Soderbergh movies, right? <laughs> yeah, just a few. No, I, uh, I, I marathoned his full film filmography yeah. last year. Yeah, I looked. Uh, I looked. I, cool. I did like one one day. I did uh, some like looking at how many how many movies each auteur ha- or like major auteurs have in the yeah, decade yeah. and it's like you know PTA yeah, yeah. most prolific three like Coen Brothers three four like and then like Soderbergh's like seven or eight like we, like we've only done the Magic Mike movies but it's like man we have so many to cover that it's like no, they're no, so I mean, efficiently the, they're, made they're and not and they're not movies none that of them are movie. really truly like Wasteful. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and other than Magic Mike, maybe. But especially post Logan Mike, kind of they're all the think same. and hope that the sequel has overshadowed it a hair because I think that that's the, the better and more joyful movie. But people don't really look back at it the last decade and they're like, oh yeah, this obvious masterpiece by so and so, you know, Steven Soderbergh. It's more that he made movies that people saw and mostly liked, but then didn't really talk about. Like we didn't really have a conversation about Contagion until COVID. Um, you know, that kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great movie. Yeah. yeah. Great movie. Gosh, Contagion rules. Yeah, that one's like twenty eleven. It's, yeah, it's. Yeah, I think it's in the height of H one N one, so it's like. Yeah. yeah. Not too, behind its time, and but then, uh, yeah, just and then we eight, watched yeah, Prometheus H2. and Covenant for this episode, both, both five star pictures. Um. Again. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, there we are. <laughs> Yes. Uh, hey now. Hey now. Be careful. Hey, this is a safe space. Yeah. Yeah. Showing your. Showing your hand. Um. Yeah. I guess before we dock the ship and talk Alien Covenant, Prometheus, um, we want to know how you guys got into film and sort of your uh, if, if you have any idea of like we've been that practicing all movies. week. To do, to do this at the and you guys have to say time. this at the same time it's like whenever Lauren Lapkus and Paul yeah. Tompkins do <laughs> Scarsdale on their episodes of Comedy Bang Bang anyway um do you want you want to go first or you want what do you want well all the the bio stuff is we went to film school together that's where we met um but I mean long before that I think we were both watching everything under the sun making movies however we could make them in um, but yeah, I think we were, I don't know how much you guys know about the, the Ridley project that we're working on, but basically we started the conversation. Yeah, I'll, honestly, I'll, I'll let Scout do that, but I think we've seen the trailer, but if you want to introduce it fully, go right ahead. The first movie you remember seeing, which is in the, which is in the trailer. Um, so Scout's answer was for Aliens. And mine, I think, was Empire Strikes Back. And so we kind of had this 
like like divergent conversation about where science fiction went right from the get-go like it either went hard sci-fi with like alien and you know or it went fantastical sci-fi where there's magic and laser swords and stuff uh, but i think that that for both of us really kind of jumpstarted and not that we're even like sci-fi nerds the way that we could be we watch everything under the sun but that i think those two movies like jumpstarted our our love of watching movies yeah that is 100 percent true that's aliens yeah aliens is like the first thing that i remember so like kind of born with this drive to watch violent action movies and stuff um dawn of the dead seeing that uh in like third grade or whatever my dad rented that on vhs and watched i watched the hell out of that that sort of awoke me to a million different possibilities and like how much i love horror movies and zombie movies specifically and the whole idea of romero being sort of a regional filmmaker where he always shot in certain regions right around pittsburgh and that kind of responsibility to your community as an artist was really inspiring and that's the kind of thing that you like kind of carry with you is that when you're making movies you want your your filmmaking family around you like he did you know where you had his rep company of actors that he always hired and you know kind of making use of local pittsburgh celebrities and stuff like that and working for companies and financiers in the area and kind of trying to keep the money in the economy of the place that you you know uh, came of age um so yeah that was that was a big one for me but the thing too is that we we kind of hit upon this and this is part of why we're doing this project which is um it's called the end of history it's i think it'll probably wind up being in 10 parts um but we will we will see about that um it's uh it's all about basically in the period after the stuff that we watched that was um you know the, the the kind of the movies that first introduced us to films the things that set the tone for what happened to the american cinema in the wake of that post 19 like mid 1980s kind of follow the trajectory of ridley and tony scott's movies where they're making films with tom cruise and they're making gladiator and all this and everybody kind of follows in those footsteps that you look at the you know the the the, the middle of the, the decade between you know 2000 to 2009 that whole move towards enormous period piece blockbusters you can chalk that up to gladiators colossal success and it was kind of interesting to see him go from somebody who at once was he's a trendsetter at first and then he's kind of behind the times he's trying to make the adult contemporary you know kind of airport paperback movies in the 90s with gi jane and white squall then he makes gladiator and he suddenly he's kind of back on top again he makes hannibal and that of course sets a precedent for a lot of horror to follow and then he finds himself once again behind the times and he's still kind of there where he's there's this kind of push pull between the popularity of his stuff and his ideas now and and uh it's been fascinating to see the stuff that like we really respond to being kind of culturally unpopular um which is you know the, that's i'm certainly used to that because <laughs> that's kind of my whole job is talking about movies that people did not like for this or that reason when they first came out so it's been a really really cool project to research because there's so much stuff hidden in the career trajectories of these two artists who despite being you know brothers and best friends uh 
they were very, very different creative types. They were very different artists. Um, and uh, they were there was a sort of healthy competition between the two of them. And the, they like kind of talked to each other imagistically. And Tony would use this actor and this photographer. And then Ridley would use them for the next one and that kind of thing. So there's just like, it's been such a beautiful, joyous project to, to, to start researching and, and writing because there was just so much there. And it's... It's it's now that the the blockbuster has become this incredibly sterile, uh, you know, series of texts now in America. You know, not to say mostly this is about the American cinema. It's not about, for instance, Bollywood or uh, Japan or even you know the United Kingdom really, because all of those markets follow their own trends and tides. And for the most part, they've been more interesting than our films for the last like ten years at that budget level. So with the blockbuster in America in its flop era. We're, we're kind of looking back at, you know, when when innovation was still happening because Ridley Scott to me is still innovating, um, and uh, and so we're like always extremely excited whenever he comes out with something new and always watch all of it. Like Raised by Wolves is a great example of, like, could never have predicted that he was going to do that. <laughs> this nonsensical. Yeah, that the TV show he produced? Aaron, I always mispronounce his last name. It's something Polish. Directed. And it's also interesting considering, like, people will sometimes say Ridley would make Tony's movies, like Body of Lies. Mm -hmm. Like, that's definitely a Tony script that really just happened to to have, although I hadn't gotten um, it. It is, and it isn't. And I'm not sure if, like, Tony would make a Ridley movie. We actually uh, yeah. had this conversation. And I'm trying to remember what, what Tony movie we said was like. Oh, no, that's, that's, he got a hold of a Ridley script there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can you can kind of the, the the like macho character of so much of the Tony scripts are things that were for the, like in the most part. It's because he was working with screenwriters who were kind of like rock stars. You know, he's got Quentin Tarantino on the set of Crimson Tide, punching it up with useless bullshit about the Silver Surfer and uh, fucking Star Trek. Yeah, you've got Denzel Washington talking about how much he loves Star Trek. Believe that one for a minute. It's, it's as believable as Lupita Nyong'o being a computer hacker in the 355, another movie that we love dearly that we haven't seen and never will. But uh, it's the best film ever made. Um, it's just like, I mean, it's like what an idea! Like it's women, but they're doing like gun stuff. Which is, like, I mean, where do they come up with this stuff? Historically, that's been for the boys. <laughs> I felt threatened at first, but then I came around to it. I thought, actually, this is really cool that women are doing gun stuff that guys do. I don't care so much that it's something for the ladies. Yeah, and I like that we've got so many different countries represented. That was my favorite. That was my favorite thing about three five five was all the marketing. That was actually my only exception. Is if we saw all of them because you know. It's a little bit, if you guys think about it, it can bring world peace. If you put this, the right five women with big guns in a party, you could change world history. Yeah, But they gotta be... We need three Oscar need nominees. Three Oscar nominees two one Oscar woman winners. who's been disappeared by the Chinese government. I think on more than one occasion, actually. Aaron Guzikowski. He wrote Raised by Wolves for Ridley Scott. I'm really hoping in, in Fast 10 they encounter the 355. The crossover <laughs> potential is limitless. It's the crossover everyone's yeah, begging I mean, for. Really, all you're missing at that point is a Ricardo or two. It's the crossover no one knows they need. 
Because nobody's thought about it for even a second. So anyway, that's that's the, the thrust of, of the end of history. Um, uh, very, very excited about it. We don't have like a like a firm yeah, start date yet, but we're, uh, we're, we're working hard. Mm-hmm. You don't have a start date, but you have an end date. Yeah, yeah my death <laughs> at the end of the year. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I think I was I was gonna ask what your history was <laughs> with Ridley, but I guess that kind of answered it. Um, unless there's anything you'd like to add, if because this is for usually I like to um, get a sense of that when it's our first time sure. talking about a, a filmmaker on the show. Yeah, I mean, he was just kind of one of those people, kind of like Spielberg, but not exactly the same thing. Kind of like Michael Mann, but not exactly the same thing. Whose movies were kind of just part of the fabric of if you're a kid going to a Hollywood video, you know, you're going to see a fairer than average share of their films on the new release walls and stuff like that. And so growing up, like obviously the poster for G.I. Jane and all that fervor that that kicked up because of, uh, I was going to say Rush Limbaugh, but I don't, Newt Gingrich was who I was thinking of. Another charming guy. Um, what was the controversy? Newt Gingrich didn't think women should be in the military. He thought that their periods would God. like somehow mess up the foxhole. It was a very, com- it was a very compelling argument. He's a, he's, of course, I'm glad he's happy and not dead. Um, but that, but that, so that was G.I. Jane was sort of in response to that kind of thing. There was all this question. I mean, gays in the military was also an enormous issue in the 90s. And there's some talk about that because they're trying to paint uh, Demi Moore characters as a lesbian at some point. because She's like hanging out with the ladies on the beach. So that movie is kind of like an answer to Top Gun and all that. And Top Gun is everywhere. You can't exist awesome. in America without hearing about Top Gun. Um, and so, you know. I didn't really think about Ridley Scott as a director until I started to piece together that all this like kind of cult films were by the same guy. Because like my dad was a huge Blade Runner, Blade Runner fan. He loved Alien. But then you've got a whole gap that I think diehard Ridley fans really don't care about. Where if you're a huge Blade Runner fan, there's a pretty slim chance you're also like a big Black Rain fan or a 1492 fan. Right. But no white no, squall heads, heads except apparently QAnon. <laughs> You went on Love Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole weird substrata of the internet of – because I forget the quote. It's, it's, it's um, as, as, as go one, so go we all or something? Something like that, yeah. But a bunch of, like, insane super right-wing people co-opted that line from, you know, a movie no one knows or likes and <laughs> turned it into their marching yeah. orders. To which I can only say – Sounds like not a good year. Wow. 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 You proud of that one? No. That joke is as good as that movie. Maybe a little too much. <laughs> but, you know, so you think about, the, you know, our, 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 we, were, we were the perfect age to start seeing his more violent revisionist stuff in theaters. So Gladiator comes out. We were, what, like 11, 12 years old? Maybe not even that. But Black Hawk Down, I think, was the Black Hawk Down was the one. Think back to and Come back with us now. Stare into the mists of time. Um, we Yeah, so we both saw Black Hawk Down in theaters and were obsessed in the way that only young preteens can be with all that fucking violence being like, this is so cool. I wish Somalia was a real place. 
you know, just like the most dunderheaded response to the most violent movie of the 2000s. Um, this is like, that's, you know, you're a young kid and you're seeing like rockets going off and you know, all that. It's just like, it's the coolest shit that you've ever seen. You know, that's like what young boys live for. I don't mean to say there aren't also young girls who could live for that as well, as the 355 has taught us, but... I, I, I mean only to speak pejoratively of being a preteen boy, and that's the kind of stuff that, like, you're obsessed with. I also saw Hannibal right around then, was in love with that movie, you know, cutting off people's brain pans and stuff and feeding it to young boys on planes. I, it's just, I, that period was so fucking cool, and I could not get enough of it. And then, like, Kingdom of Heaven, the most amazing, violent epic or whatever. So... From that, I think we got a sense of who Ridley Scott was at the time, and then we just kind of hung on for the rest of the ride until something like Prometheus happens where, you know, it was kind of like, oh, there's a more personal thing at work here than perhaps it seems when you're watching, like, American Gangster or Body of Lies, which do seem fairly impersonal considering what we know about the movies of his that are a little more you know, uh, in sync with his beliefs and, and fixations and stuff. Like, and I think those two he was hired for. Um, yeah, I mean, he was kind of worked for hire for most of that. Yeah, and I, I think that's what kind of contributes to the idea that, like, Ridney is this, he's this cipher. Like, no one, you, you go back through Spielberg's career, everyone knows, like, okay, yeah, Spielberg made that, made that, made that. But a lot of Ridley stuff post Blade Runner, like, no one really knows. There's no clear identity to them. But I think that that's another reason why. Scout and I are so interested in the guy is because he's a chameleon. You go from film to film, subject to subject. Mm -hmm. He is able to adapt to the genre or, you know, what, what we expect from that kind of film. And he does it very well every time. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think, so even if he is work for hire, which, you know, you're kind of right about that. Um, when he, even when he is, he does a he does a really good job making the movie. If the movie isn't good, it's usually not the performances. It's usually not camera choices. It's not you know production design. The edit. It's yeah, not the edit. It's typically it's just a movie with kind of a weak script that doesn't hook you, or or a sort of a political motivation that is sort of out of date by the time the movie comes out. So you talk about something like Robin Hood, right? Robin Hood made right after. Right. The story of, yeah, how I, I've always known like that. The story behind that was like, it was, the script was diluted down to like, just to, a straight up. Yeah, yeah to nothing. I mean, but it's like, it, it, it makes it, it made a certain amount of sense at the time where they pulled this screenplay out and he worked with Monaghan and John Matheson and stuff. So it was like, it was a team that had produced good work in the past and the financial crisis had just happened. So it's like, oh, why not do this big epic about Robin Hood or whatever? And then you get this PG-13 you know, you know Mad, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome thing that is just like completely all wrong and tonally all over the map, and it's this weird romantic comedy, and it just doesn't come together at all. But it's but it's interesting we talk about Robin Hood because that's the reset. After yeah, Robin true. Hood, he does Prometheus. Mm. Yeah, and and it's he's working on digital. He's returning to something for the first time. And he's making a pretty nakedly theological work that actually grapples with things where Kingdom of Heaven is a movie about religion, but it does not have a religious point of view. The whole point is that, you know, much like all films about the Middle East, then it comes away with the same thesis that everybody else does is, boy, this is complicated, isn't it? Um, 
And I think it says it fairly eloquently, but it is still a film that kind of throws its hands up at the idea of the Crusades and the war in Iraq and all that stuff. Um, but Prometheus is a film, and Covenant as well, that are, I mean, really grappling with some pretty hardcore questions about the end of life and and religion and, and all that, and doing it in the most kind of grotesque, grim package imaginable. I just think that to do that, I mean, much like Moonfall, honestly, to be innovating and having a conversation with yourself about your own beliefs on a canvas usually reserved for people with laser swords, like you said, you know, I think that's pretty fucking cool. You know, like, again, I don't mean to rag on George Lucas specifically, that's a guy with a lot of fascinating beliefs um and certainly no one else could have made those prequels that's those are those are deeply personal works if nothing else but you know as as blockbusters became more and more impersonal and more about you know the mechanics of you know fight sequences and stuff like that i a, a movie like prometheus really does stand in contrast to what the american cinema was sort of capable of producing Right on. And you guys saw both of these in, oh, in yeah. theaters? Yeah. Opening day. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And that was that was just like really excited for because this is Prometheus especially had been in production for oh, yeah. quite some time. Um well I mean is do you think that like a lot of the technology was sort of still in its infancy where they were getting better at that stuff so that like by the time you get to Mad Max Fury Road all of that looks perfect there isn't a you know a steam a seam or a string to be seen Prometheus was among the first films where I mean it's kind of like post minority report where there's all this technology and all these little screens and all these you know critters and whatever and there are no you know, there, there's no point where you're like your 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 brain can't make you believe something because it's this perfect mix of practical and digital and the little worm and the tunnel and all that stuff. Um, and it was hugely, hugely exciting. Um, you know, not uh... yeah, people hated it, but I really liked it. King has his reign. And then he dies. It's inevitable. Prometheus is dead. These are ancient civilizations that were separated by centuries and yet. This same pictogram was discovered in every one of them. They're smiling. I think they want us to come and find them. We're all here because of a map you two kids found in a cave. Not a map. An invitation. From whom? Please tell me you can read that. Prometheus, are you seeing this? Whatever that probe is picking up, it's reading life form. What do you mean a life form? Oh, the head. They're changing. Changing into what? It's moving. These things moving. 
Like I was, that was one of those first movies where I like I don't know what your experience was, but I walked out of it. Even and at the time, the people I had gone to see it with didn't even like it. And I was like, no, it's great. You know, that was kind of an early, you know, standing up for something weird moment. <laughs> I think for me it was, you know, the, there was a mystery around Prometheus. They kind of marketed it as like a vaguely alien film. Well, the trailer, the trailer, which we talk about all the time, the best fucking trailer of all time. Um, was done in the style of Alien, and but it's so you're like, okay, you're aware that there's a connection, but you have no idea what it is. Yeah, and being being too, he and I are pretty big Alien dudes. Um, like all of, you know, all of it. Yeah, and and to kind of watch the trajectory of the Alien franchise, let's say, which I still think is the best American film franchise because it's like all different directors, all different screenwriters, like people just kind of keep coming back to it and putting their own take on it. So it's not always just the same. It's a bit like Mission Impossible. That's a good, a great example. Yeah. And and so- But even, even still in that one, I would argue that the Mission Impossible movies have a built-in sameness because you're still watching one guy go through one thing. Even the Alien movies eventually abandon Ellen Ripley. Um, you know, that there's basically just this sort of, there's a there's a thematic and a textural similarity to everything else. But like Alien 3 is a prison movie, you know, it's got nothing to do with Alien and Aliens in in, in, in the sort of, in the abstract. But anyway, sorry, keep going. Yeah, and then, well, I mean, to, to that point, so then you go, you know, you go Resurrection, which is Janae's bonk o'clock, that movie, and then you've got, like, the AVP movies, which... That one's very watchable. I went through... It's pretty gross. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I love them all. I really do yeah. love them all. And, and but to yeah. have... It was not, it was, that one's, like, the worst one considered... And it's like this one's like not all that bad. It's at got all. it's got problems I think that are endemic to what people thought movies had to be at that time. Where it's like that scene where the guy is going down the hallway picking up bigger guns for no reason at all because they needed an excuse to get him alone to kill him. They couldn't have just killed him. It's got the you know like scene. That's all. It's got the basketball scene. Joss Whedon should have gone to jail for that. He should have done a hard time for that scene. Anyway. But yeah, I remember, you know, on top of everything. Right, right. Yeah, well, that just being a piece of shit. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but going through like the AVP releases and you know, being the one guy in my circle of friends who were like, that was fine, and all my friends are like, dude, this movie's fucking shit. And it's like, I mean, it's 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 good. And I mean, I love AVP R because that's it's the, the nastiest movie ever made maybe the most anti-social movie not made by like Uwe Boll in that yeah. decade but then to to be told 
hey, we're getting another Alien movie, you know. And it's Ridley Scott. And then, right, and then to be told, oh, Ridley Scott's making it, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. So, yeah, I mean, i rushing to the theater. And then I feel like, again, it's one of those things where no matter what your opinion of Prometheus structurally, plot, you know, plot-wise, performance-wise, whatever, it's just a movie that is so well put together as a piece of filmmaking that... Yep. It was just nice to return to like the alien universe and have an entry that's like so well that looks so good. Well, every every little bit of it, like it's it's it still suffers from you know a couple of like screenlining logic problems and stuff, but it doesn't really matter because every little individual piece is so compelling. I mean, you can argue there are a million you know flaws, whatever you want to, however you want to characterize that. It's like Idris Elba doing a, a, a Kentucky accent as if a Bulgarian heard it one time on the radio, or. You know, you know the like the 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 things that they have to do the little machinations to get characters alone again they're still doing that shit but it's like every set is so every set piece is so beautifully done and so tightly constructed and so just like fascinating to look at like the bit where uh, uh, you know Numi Rapace's Dr. Elizabeth Shaw is like blown out of the space door and is in this like glass storm is so gorgeous and it's the kind of thing that really only really scott would have done because he's so attuned to the texture of those things and he's cared about that above all else um so it's it, it was it was just i remember this interview that i mean clearly obviously you guys would maybe know the interview i'm talking about when he's like my painterly eye is in full effect when i made the martian and i think that's all the more true for prometheus that its style looks like greek oil paintings or something um and you know like a lot of reviews at the time would be like first off technically made it's flawless but then like they just start listing off like very nifty <laughs> issues that they had where it's just yeah. like is this really necessary to do like i i think that you know we may have a little too cute of an eye for the 79 alien where it's like it is so simple and tight tightly packaged but it's like did that was that all that like flawless that we had to look past at the time um that's just like now we're starting to be like this is my box that needs to be checked off and because it's like the alien alien in 79 was just that's just a slasher movie and now it's like now they were trying to go out from the slasher genre it's like now we have to like have our expectations met because it's doing something else. And, and like the first four aliens are like the same sort of like it's like people come in and mess with the format, but it's like still sort yeah. of yeah. has its Prometheus. Yeah, Prometheus was always going to be judged against what it's not as much as what it is, and you were never going to please anybody that way. And that's kind of why I dig the move of just making that movie, taking a few years off, and then just making Covenant. It's like, well, here's another one, so. Enjoy. Enjoy. We just, just did it again, um, and, and and just sort of following his muse. There's a great actually. You were talking about the sort of you know painterly eye of these things. There's a great video essay by an artist who goes by Horosi or Horazi, which is just the many different um, bits from historical artworks that are are present as influences throughout Alien Covenant. Um, you know the sort of uh, 
the, the, the paintings and sculptures and stuff that uh, that find purchase in the visual schema of that movie. Um, and that's exactly how he thinks. That's how he's always thought. That's, you know, he and Tony would get screenplays and just start drawing. You know, they would just start drawing the storyboards and stuff like that together and they'd figure out how the movie was going to look and, you know, feel from that kind of a stuff. It's just, that's where they came from. They both went to art colleges and started in advertisements, and they storyboard the shit out of everything, and, yeah, so that's... And Tony did music videos. Oh, yeah, Tony did music videos. I mean, Ridley did, too. Ridley made a, a Roxy music video, and I think something else, but I don't remember what exactly. That doesn't matter. But anyway, that's, yeah. They... And you mentioned the script, and I think it's worth noting that at the time, like, there was a lot of, he said... Well, I guess there, there's not many women with the making of this. So I guess he said he said about if this was an alien prequel or if it's right. just right. like it's sort of like something we mentioned in our 10 Cloverfield Lane episode. That's more do they want this to exist as a, like a very formal prequel or just a spinoff that take, happens to be in the same universe as the other mm-hmm. movies. And that's always interesting them when they're it, – because it's like maybe they had an idea for one thing at one time, but then they kind of backtrack and they're like – well, I don't know. Yeah. But either way, I think the movie's still effective. I agree. I mean, I think the thing is that when you, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's probably a lot of bet hedging with the stuff when you're spending that much money where you're like, uh, maybe it isn't, and maybe we can reboot this in a couple years and nobody will notice. But I think Prometheus made a shitload of money, so I think there was no doubt there was going to be some kind of continuation of it. And I think it's worth pointing out that also uh, it made a lot of money because it was in the craze of 3D in 2012. That's right, it was. I um, forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I, I think especially with the 3D capabilities with Blu-ray at the time and also wearing the silly little glasses uh, to see our did, silly little blockbusters. Did they release Prometheus um, in 3D? <laughs> sure did. Oh, man. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. No, we definitely didn't go to the 3D screen. I want to go watch the uh, self-C-section yeah. scene in 3D. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it is kind of crazy, like, to think of how much time has passed between <laughs> this and Covenant. Like, Covenant was five years ago. This was ten years ago. Uh, Thirty-five years ago now is Blade Runner, and he's returning to a subject that I think looks to be pretty personal. Um, where he's just like, you guys think Nubia Rapaz is the star? No, this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> David, that's, that's my... <laughs> Nazi robot. Because <laughs> it's like... Right, and, and Fassbender, who's, like, I, from what I can tell, a lot of people thought were the highlights of both movies. I mean, he's really fucking um, good. Study, right, yeah, he's incredible. Um, and he studied um, not Lance Hendrickson and Ian Holm, but rather uh, the replicants for Blade Runner. I think that's very telling, that yeah. the direction they wanted to go in. And especially um, Covenant, I think, is more Blade Runner than Prometheus. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I mean, you know, you've got... Kind of doomed people uh, uh, trying to flee a planet that is hostile to them, and they're at the mercy of of somebody who thinks of himself as a superior creature or whatever. And you've got the yeah, there's that kind of Roy Batty character to Fastbender's uh, uh, android and all that stuff. But I think the thing is that to Ridley Scott, all these things form a coherent visual tapestry. And so basically, it's personal to him because he gets to be his most expressive self. There are images in Covenant and Prometheus that he never attempted 
anything near the character of throughout the rest of his career. And it's not as though he didn't have opportunities to do it. I just think that he understood that to be able to create something from the ground up, you really do need to be playing by rules that you yourself invented. And, you know, I think going back to these movies, he's like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to just give you exactly the same shit you got before because you've been seeing these movies once every four years for the past 40 years. So why not? And he has too. It's like, you know, it's like what he wants to get out of them as an audience member just as much as it Yeah, absolutely he does. And that's the beautiful thing. We've been obsessed with the fact that when he was doing the press junket for Gucci, which thank God was a hit because we got all these great Ridley Scott interviews to come out of him. And he loves all of his old movies. He doesn't, there isn't a thing that he would change about any other shit that he's done. I love that about him so much. Good movie, dude. Mm. There's this good, uh, I love when... movie called White Squall from 1995. You've seen it? It's a good movie, dude. <laughs> Have I taken you guys back to the year 1492? Oh, my gosh. Wait. Let's, let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I love 1492. I, that movie's a mess, but yeah. I love it. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Um, Ty, would you like to tell us your, you know, like your history with alien movies? And also, like, these two that we're talking about. Uh, Prometheus. Mm, yes. Uh, when it came out, I'll just say, to contextualize, like, the release of that movie, I think, is important. Um, Absolutely. Because mm. yeah. that trailer... Yeah, I watched it back, like, and it was really sold the idea of... All time of the Ridley Scott I, brand, which is I, like, oh, well, it's kind of unusual. I haven't like, watched it recently. That, by 2012, he's a brand name. Which is like the director of Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator. Um, and it's more so that than it is selling you the, the idea of an Alien prequel. Right. Mm-hmm. It was definitely my most anticipated movie of that year. I would compare it to like it was. It was June. Like it was the June of twenty twelve, basically. Like people were fucking hyped for this movie to come out. Was it summer? Yeah. Um, and so went to see it definitely like opening night, I think. And I'll yes. say it was say more. The most disappointing by. A movie of my adult life to that point. Uh, I I was bummed. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember like specifically like my quibbles with it at the time. Um, I just remembered like instead of just the me. feeling was just like like I said <laughs> if if Dune came out and yeah. everybody was like bummed by it. That's that's the general reception to the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Because I I, definitely, I wasn't the only one, like everybody I went to see it with also was kind of like, I don't know. Um, And, but then Mm -hmm. uh, I rewatched it before Covenant came out and I was like, oh, this is better than I (laughs) thought it was at the time. (laughs) I actually, I, I, and now re- rewatching it again, I definitely like it more than Covenant. Um, I I think that was also and Covenant when that came out. 
It was also Sunday. Yeah, I did not have the same amount of goodwill on Prometheus. It was like, it was kind of more niche, niche a little bit. Um, yeah, I it definitely didn't have like the feel of like a blockbuster drop like Prometheus did. Um, but. I mean, now watching them both back to back, they're definitely like of a piece with each other. Obviously, with Fastbender and both, and they make the connection um, <laughs> in Covenant. Uh, but Prometheus, in particular, um, I do think it's really nice. interesting the reception it Gorgeous. got at the time compared to watching it back now. I got them both on the 4K disc, and holy hell, both of those movies! Look I think incredible. as a compliment, they kind of feel like <laughs> like vis- visual it, effects. They do not look like that they Best Buy at all. Will, it's, it's or crazy. something will put on their TVs so, to like advertise their capabilities great to display. Yeah. Uh, it's just, but like as the biggest. No, I mean ever. for sure because they're yeah. so clean. You know what I mean? Like it's not. It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very crisp. absolutely. Every image just fucking shines, and you see everything that you're supposed to do, and there's great dimensionality. We have Covenant playing in the background right now, just to remind us how beautiful it is, and it's like every fucking image is is perfect. Really? Like on on yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome. We can wow. turn our that's, camera. That's, that's, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's 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 a great idea to like remind you of the, the yeah, visuals. Man, um, no, no one's ever done that. That's that's. <laughs> a, <laughs> I think I, that should be like a requirement for everybody. Truth, yeah. truth um, be told, though, I think like, these movies, like when someone picks some something really miserable, like a more, I don't know, like yeah, you should like, have to watch it again. It could be, it could be, you sure it could like be going the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is this really your pick? Really, don't you like this? The thing is, when whenever Scout lets his Apple TV go idle, this movie just starts playing. It's the screensaver for his. That's right. It's your computer desktop yeah. wallpaper. It's just like, I mean, you're not far um, off. My desktop wallpaper is from Boris Godunov by uh, Andrei Zulovsky, so it's one punishing vision of an alternate dimension or another. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, just real fast. I don't have much to say um with my background well, i've only here? done alien <laughs> that's a wrap guys i'm sorry yeah. um i've only done alien and aliens uh until just just this past week um love both of them both like a few of the great american movies i, uh, I have nothing new to add um great great all around from jim and ridley good friends um but no and then i rewatched three because three, I remember seeing when I was like, like a little mm-hmm. kid, and and it's just like, it was like so wet and sweaty, yeah, and like I think that was the first time that I saw Sigourney Weaver in anything. But I didn't know it was Alien Three, let alone an Alien movie. I think a babysitter had it on in the background when she was babysitting us, and like she didn't know like what it was or anything. It was just, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, huge Fincher head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, She's like, hell yeah, club. this movie rips. Let's yeah, it's it. like, I saw three. Three in Resurrection are very watchable. Like I, I, like I said with Resurrection, definitely like not as bad as they're made out to be, just like very 90s blockbusters. Um, I didn't do the uh, Paul W.S. Anderson movies. He fought the Predator, I it's, heard. It's not... 
it's not quite as bad as you've heard. I think that you just have to accept that it is the in the vein of the stuff that he does. And you have to decide for yourself whether or not you think that he does it well or not. I used to really hate that guy. I used to really fucking hate everything that Paul W. Sanderson did. I came around in the last couple of years because I... I think like like many. You know, no, it's true. It's like not, I don't think that's an, at all a minority opinion. But um, I... I was like, I, 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 there are a couple of really good images, and obviously, if you talk about movies that you could play at Best Buy, Alien vs. Predator is absolutely one of those films. It's crisp, crisp images, and, and, you know, this great sense of symmetry that defines a lot of his best work. Um, I don't, like, Monster Hunter? Did you guys see Monster Hunter? That movie fucking rules. No, yeah, uh, no, yeah, a lot of people recommend that one. It's really good. It's really good. Anyway. MVP. Uh, yeah, and, uh, what, what, one more time? Yeah, please. I was tired. Yeah, no, just yeah, say real quick. I, AVP is to the rest of the Alien films as Jurassic World is, is to Jurassic Park. Park. Yeah, I guess Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like to me. Um, I don't know if that's the best selling. Point. I mean, it's not meant as a selling point. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. But, but I think. I think <laughs> oh, oh, it's just like because yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like what it is so is it's somebody. And I think it's a lot of the reason why, like Prometheus and Covenant, Covenant did as poorly as as they did with people's, you know, liking them was somehow people got the impression that Alien. I mean, Aliens probably has a lot to do with that, but the Aliens not like all over the movie Alien. And I, I think that the further we get into what we're seeing now as blockbuster filmmaking, when people go to see a movie based in a universe that they can be familiar with because there's a lot of entries in that universe. What ends up happening is people go, like we were talking about before we started, you know, oh, look, there's Wolverine. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are going to alien entries and going, I want to see the Xenomorph. Where's the Xenomorph? And I think that whenever the Xenomorphs are not on screen, all the other characters should be asking, where's the Xenomorph? Where is the Xenomorph? And I think that that's what's, I think that's what happened with AVP is they're like, oh man, you know what we should do? Put the alien in it more, basically constantly. And then, yeah. And they should be doing literally like, like WWE moves on each other and stuff. And it's just true. That's a real thing that happens. It's not, a... I think where we're at is that we just, we just need to bring back versus movies. X versus Sever. X versus Sever, the best one of all. Good. That's probably the best movie ever. Triple X versus Dominic Toretto, <laughs> where he fights himself. Uh, Lake Placid versus Anaconda. It's my favorite style of movie where it's a franchise versus a monster. Oh my god, let's go. <laughs> Obviously, Kramer yeah. versus yeah. Kramer. Yeah. That scene where yeah. Dustin Hoffman suplexed Streep's Streep. fight. Never, Never forget that. Yeah. That instilled in me a love of wrestling and the art of wrestling. Dustin Hoffman, oh a great God. heel turn from him. Of course. A rowdy Roddy Piper in his day. <laughs> Grabs the mic away. Right. Yeah, like, um, yeah. No, I, yeah. Uh, what was I gonna, I was gonna say, um, you guys know, like, Jean-Pierre Juno has, like, a new movie. It came out yesterday. Like, on Netflix. Nobody yeah, saw it. Was, <laughs> no one, no one is talking about Crazy. it. Is no. is that because it's bad, Everyone, or is just not anybody? Because nobody knows about it. Because his his yeah, star yeah, Netflix didn't know ever. Yeah, they didn't do any fucking advertising. They're too they busy on. Uh, they're too busy. Yeah, they're too busy on uh, 
power of dogs and not looking up. I don't know. Like, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, was a, don't look up. That's a movie don't. we'll be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> just don't fucking do it. Um, no. Uh, his, no, he just, his, the American public completely fell out of love with him because Mick Max was the last one of his that really got the push. Amelie, what's a big yeah, deal? Yeah, well, Amelie was a huge deal. The fucking uh, two guys just called it the sixth best French film of all time for like Time Out or something like that. I'm like, first of all, that's embarrassing. Uh, and second of all, it was a big fucking deal. And now nobody gives a shit. Nobody fucking cares. Um, he had a movie out in 2014 that nobody remembers The Something Something of T.S. Spivet. I think Tilda Swinton is in it. It's wow. just back to the one of them Tilda Swinton pivots, a famous Swinton pivot. Yeah. <laughs> Tilda Swinton pivot. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of um, our Jean-Pierre Jean corner. And no, I I think I all these movies are good, like Tucker mentioned earlier. And Prometheus and Covenant just feel for me like ultimately really misunderstood at their time also because Ridley Scott changed and it's not so much the alien movies and the alien movies happen and change with him. And it's like you, in 79, that's not the same filmmaker. You know, it's like, it's like any filmmaker, like they're going to be a different person and they want to explore different ideas. If you want to do like a straight out, just jaws in space again, I'm sure that's possible. Um, but what's the point? Anybody could do that. Yeah, what's the point? Exactly. Yeah. I think about, like, the... the Especially with Prometheus. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, I, I, you know, I, I think not infrequently of the Poochie episode of The Simpsons when thinking about what culture has become now, because that episode predicted everything. And it's the comic book guy saying, they owe me. And Bart saying, they've given you hours of free entertainment. Don't you think you owe them? And that's exactly the attitude that so many people have now. It's just like, well, I've watched these movies a bunch. They owe me a movie exactly like this one with all the stuff that I want in it. And also they should call me handsome and give me money. And I just, I don't, I don't get, I don't get what people want from the movies anymore. I just like, I'm completely out of, out of step with the impulses behind people's decisions to buy movie tickets. I mean, cause is it rise of Skywalker? Like, do they just right, want right. the worst movie of the last 10 years? And that's Star Wars is a perfect example because Force Awakens is what he was just talking about. It's, oh, we're just going to remake mm. the first one. And everyone, yep. that's a better Fucking yes! More of the same! Yeah. It's Wookiee! I got Wookiee! I think, I forget if we touched on it in our Star Wars episode, but it's like, Force Awakens is hardly a good movie. I think it's just barely. On the pre- for me I mean, at least it's, it's like, like pretty you know it's like well, it's, yeah that's it's JJ really get away with yeah. it because even Rise of Skywalker uh, the most dog <laughs> shit script of all time <laughs> is a it's a beautiful it's movie it's the guy can gorgeous. put images together so yeah. it works visually mm-hmm. but that's that's exactly it is that sure. you need to have other things to say and Star Wars was just never going to be a canvas upon which you could paint. Your impulses and fetishes and neuroses and the things that you care about, you know, they let Ryan Johnson do it and he'll be paying for that for the rest of his life. Um, and now he's making the fucking Foghorn Leghorn mysteries for Netflix. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they're in Greece. <laughs> they're in Greece. <laughs> and enough champagne to fill the Nile. <laughs> 
<laughs> We're going off the ship. <laughs> We're going into the Nile. <laughs> well, you talked about you, you talked about Ridley changing, and that's a huge part of the project that we're kind of discovering was was not necessarily because Tony passed away, but right around that time. And I think it's because really when really made Alien, he was. And I think when Tony, if I remember correctly, like Tony passed away around the time of Robin Hood. And you mentioned that was actually the, no. He passed away um, right around the time that Prometheus was coming out. Um, he made Unstoppable in 2010. I believe he took his life in 2012. Ridley was on the set of The Counselor, I think. Yeah. And and at that time, that's when we really do start to see a shift in Ridley Scott. And I think it's for a lot of reasons. Tony, I'm sure, had a lot to do with it, but also. When Ridley made Alien, he was forty. Yeah, yeah, at least. Yeah. So getting getting his start, let's say, fifteen years later than a lot of filmmakers get to, and so now he's in his eighties and he's grappling with mortality, and a lot of that's coming up on screen. That's why a lot of these films are starting to be as violent and vicious, and the endings are not happy. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, yeah, I mean, that, that reflects exactly who he has become and what his worldview now has to sort of contend with. That the man, on the one hand, has everything, right? He's got the huge family, all these estates all over the world. He's got a beautiful wife who likes to work with him, and they made Gucci together. And it's, you know, you know he's, his own production he's company. got his own production company that, he's, that he ran with his brother successfully for years and years and years and years. And there's, there's, a, there's a scot-free production on screens every year, no matter what. I mean, Death on the Nile is a scot-free production. You know, it's he's got he's got everything that you could hope to have, and yet he's an old man and he's thinking about the end of his life, and he can't stop making things. He's just he would not be content to be sitting on a beach admiring the sun going down like Columbus does in the beginning of 1492. He's got I mean, like Columbus, sort of. He, there are things that call to him. There are things. There are. He is. He knows that he is meant for something other than enjoying retirement. He needs to continue to create. So even a film like Gucci, which does not have the personal stamp of Covenant and Prometheus or even uh, Last Duel, he still has to keep doing it because you know his wife thought it was a good idea to make the movie. He couldn't get anyone else to do it, so he made it for her. I think that's kind of beautiful, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with Prometheus, I think a lot of that is kind of inside of the Whalen character. Mm-hmm. That it's like creating totally. more is your legacy. And since you can't find your own creator, then you become the creator. Um, I guess maybe that's maybe not well, no, but that tied to makes filmmaking, sense. but some of no, it is. No, it's true. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's, pretty good. it's, you know, looking back, I mean, you know, the, the, the character of... That, that, that Fassbender plays in in, uh, in Covenant is like a perfect thing where he's trying to sort of awaken people to his decision-making, to be like, look what I've done, and they don't understand why he did it. And so he has to kill them because they don't get it. And that, to me, is like, that's a pretty that's a pretty bold thing for an artist to just sort of, like, vouchsafe, to be like, well, if you don't get it, fuck you. But that really is who he is. Right. Mm-hmm. And it goes to the cruelty of... Covenant, that it's ultimately like the movie that is not in service of pleasing anybody like I think Prometheus is and maybe sometimes um, 
can tie down the movie. Sure, sure. And not knowing anything about Prometheus or Covenant, I think something that's interesting about Prometheus is how it still has the the idea of corporations and, and capital um, mm-hmm. gain at its sure. core uh, that that tied back to the original. Well, that's, with every, every alien movie is in some fashion about how the poor are expendable. Um, mm-hmm. it's, Especially aliens, I think yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, in Covenant, it's the same thing, right? They're supposed to be going to start this beautiful new utopia, um, and they are then eaten by a Nazi robot's personal army of critters because he would rather do this kind of you know, uh, Joseph Mengele style building the perfect creation kind of, you know, scientific experiment for the sake of it at the expense of all life on Earth. Um, and in Prometheus, you know, it's guys literally looking for, like, the answer to all of life on Earth, all of the questions of existence and all that, and just finding predatory chaos. And they and and that they themselves are just bodies, you know, at the expense of this mission financed by a millionaire. I mean, it's kind of uh, telling that in the last year we saw how many millionaires take a quick ride up to space. You know, our planet is on fire, and he's just like everybody. Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos are like, you know, it'd be really fucking cool is if I could go up there and like touch the moon for a minute. Like, no, it really wouldn't, and it isn't. And fuck you, we're dying. <laughs> We're getting, and that's a you know maybe this is kind of a meaningless observation, but also with the uh, fucking cowboy hat that McBride, yeah, yeah has, exactly, um, showing showing that's their sort of that this is an adventure yes. for them. This isn't anything more than uh, discovering yeah, frontier. Um, well, that's exactly it. Is that it's people who are woefully under-equipped to deal with the thing that they are put through. But that to me is again, it's the story of humanity. It's the, it's in all of his mm. movies people going into situations that they don't understand they have no idea why they're there and they were not properly trained for any of the shit that happens to them i mean columbus goes to the new world he finds people there that are happy and he fucking destroys them because he's an idiot because he didn't have any business being there in the first place because nobody had any business doing any of that stuff you know it's it's michael douglas going to japan in black rain and just being like hey babe i'm an american cop and fuck you and fuck your protocol let's get you fired it's, you know, or or um, Tom Berenger and Someone to Watch Over Me. He's, like, suddenly in the world of the rich. You know, it's his movies are all about pilgrims, for better or worse, and we all know what happens when they came over here the first time and how well that went. And I think with the pilgrimage comes, like, naivete. Sure. And, and um, some kind of wonderment, because really the big, or one of the big criticisms of Prometheus is like all these scientists that have dedicated their whole lives to this study suddenly fall under um, being seduced by this new planet that they're that they've now landed on, got the distress signal mm-hmm. to. Um, and it's like I see I see where you'd come to that conclusion, but for me, it just like it was more these movies come to um, humanity being under like a repetition that they're always going to be you know they're always going to be outmatched and their discoveries lead them to to their own demise and 
their own mistakes. Like we're bound to mistakes. Well, it's also that and they go they go with an idea that they're going to see something that is a perfect reflection of their own beliefs. And that was never going to be the case. And that is also something that you find in all of Ruby's movies. It's Kingdom Especially with the Shaw and Holloway character. Exactly. Where Holloway is so he's such a pouty little bastard because it isn't exactly what he pictured it would be. I mean he's like a child. He really is. He's like very childlike in the way that he behaves there, which I think is what gives Fastbender the okay to murder him. You know, like it's they they he looks at him and he sees this petulant person who is not up to the discoveries that await them here that you know, Michael. He's not worried. No, he's not. And Michael Fassbender believes himself to be that he is the superior thing. He's a being created for this express purpose, and so he gets to play God. And that's maybe the difference between a lot of other really protagonists is that everyone else gets pulled off of that pedestal. Fassbender doesn't really do that, and he lives to the next movie to continue to play God in an even more you know malevolent fashion. Well, I think that was that's an interesting part of the structure of both of these films is. Fastbender's really the only guy with any heightened ability because he's an android. And I think that a big thing that's happening, especially in American cinema now, is the movies that get made and that people watch, everybody's got powers and skills and, you know, ways... ways to, the Spider-Men. They're Spider-Men. They're jason Bourne. <laughs> like, everyone has the training and the skills to overcome whatever they face. And both of these films are the exact opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's dilettantes in space. Yeah. It's, yeah. No, it's true. It's like I, every fucking three months, you're going to see a trailer and the voiceover or the on-screen text is going to be like, he was the best to ever do it. He was the smartest. He was the fastest. He could jump over the moon and kill you with his bare hands. He was the most Ricardo who ever Ricardoed. His name was John Wick, and four million people couldn't kill him. He was the most, you know, everybody is the best, everybody is the, the most deadly assassin who ever lived. If there were as many assassins in the world as movies told us there were, you would be bumping into assassins on your way to the fucking grocery store. Starbucks would be full of them. Yeah. I just, like, who can relate to this? It's like, you know, never, like, relatability isn't everything, but I don't, I'm not watching, you know, fucking... The protege being like, this is just like my life. I, think I took so much from this. A movie where I mean, it's kind of like that quote from The Incredibles, where they talk about right, like everyone, everyone is super son. until nobody right. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah like no, it's true, and that of course is made in the shadow of Ayn Rand. But that's, I mean, it's they're not wrong in the case of the American cinema. Yeah, and I think that I think that that's a a big reason why people maybe didn't love. I mean, there's plenty of reasons why, but I think a big part of it is people want to be comfortable. And yeah. feel safe. And I think that Ridley's just not down for that. And through the, all the discovery we've made watching all of these movies, uh, all of Ridley's work is like he harkens back to other filmmakers all the time. And like the idea of like the Hitchcock, every man suddenly embroiled in something. Thrust into an unexpected exactly. situation. Those movies don't get made anymore. No. Everyone, every movie that comes out now, right, is what we were just talking about. And I think that. Covenant and Prometheus. I mean, yeah, both fool people because, like, and if they're made, they're made for streamers. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. And like you said about the JNA film, no budget, no no marketing budget. You'll never hear about it if you watch it. It's by accident. Yeah, but I think that because of what American cinemas turned into currently, um, people see a trailer for. Prometheus or Covenant, a movie like these where there are a lot of special effects. They're in space. They're on other planets. And people in their, like, lizard brain just see, like, 
Avengers Endgame, they don't entertain the notion that things can and probably will go very badly for every character in the movie. Because, like, I think Endgame is a really good example that Endgame taught us that we want to view movies as moments. And it's like, we want to see Captain America grab Thor's hammer. Um, We want Tony Stark's snappiest fingers. Uh, basically everything from the climax. We just want the climax. And it's like, we want it to be a short film um, from all the Avengers, like, fighting right, right. Uh, computer. And, and you you reliving the end of that movie, I think my hair has just turned gray. I feel like I aged a decade remembering all that fucking bullshit. <laughs> You're the saving Private Ryan. Uh, <laughs> like, the, fucking, the, th- the thing with all the women coming out of the portal in that, oh how did no one go to jail for that? <laughs> How did how did they how 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 can the Russos leave you, their homes without fear of reprisals, violent reprisals in the street? Honestly, okay, two things. I that was the original three. It was the original three five five. Yeah, that's the crossover we're gonna get. Yeah. The problem is all those women are are now anti vaxxers so you can't put them in a new crossover. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson is selling pizza rolls and playing trans women. COVID can't kill them. They're Captain Marvel. That's right. Yeah, Brie Larson is hawking NFTs. There's nobody left from that scene that's bankable. You can't hire them. They're all insane. Letitia Wright is anti-vax and Evangeline Lilly. And... Not, not Kate. Uh, sorry. But also, I, I think... It's interesting that Joe Russo doesn't get thrown stone throws stones thrown at him for the gay character that he played himself. It was so important he had to do it himself. There just aren't any gay actors. He looked. He looked around his home. He couldn't Couldn't find find anyone. Yeah. (laughs) I guess I'll do this. I hate that man so much. What a fucking disgrace. Uh, I love that they made the biggest movie in the world. That's it is so awesome. the biggest movie in the world. We'll never see bigger. You know, we couldn't handle it, honestly. And it's and it's sort of that idea that you know, in twenty twelve and in twenty seventeen, like Marvel was just getting started and in its full effect. Yeah. Um, and it's that type of movie that we wanted to see, and not something that had weight to it. Yeah. No, it's true. Avengers. Avengers, like. The, the success of that movie was like fairly unprecedented. Oh, wait a minute. Avengers in, the, in Prometheus they were the same year. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think almost. No, I guess Avengers was later in the year, wasn't it? It was like a Christmas release. I can't remember. I don't fucking remember. It's not important. It's the least important piece of information I'll ever ask for. Um, but yeah, no, it's true. It was a good case study in what people wanted versus what they really, really did not. And the kind of thing that a movie like Prometheus offers, no matter its sort of comparable thrills and all that stuff, it's it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not, like, fun in the same way. Um, and it doesn't flatter your knowledge of the backstory of the last five movies, where it really does feel like it's there's this payoff of, like, oh, we've seen all these things, and now you get to see them all in the same room having a chat. Yeah, and that was sort of the the thing that was like shifted because if like Avengers didn't make its money back, then it's like, it's like the entire, I, I kind of wonder about that. Honestly, if that movie had failed, do you think, do you think they would have stopped? I don't know. Yeah. I think a lot invested in that. 
Yeah, where would American movies be now without the Marvel wave? That's an interesting thought experiment. <laughs> Lionel Hutz yeah. thinking about a world without lawyers. <laughs> I mean, you know, if Iron Man didn't, was like, if it bombed. If John Favreau which is even more interesting. had been on United 93. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Instead of Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> if Seth MacFarlane had invited John Favreau to take a quick journey with him. This is how I'm starting the episode. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to turn it off right away. We're fucked. You guys, your numbers are going to go way down. But if that had happened... You know, if there, if they hadn't, if they hadn't decided that what America needed was safer counter programming to, at that point, the primacy of the Oscar movie was kind of a big deal culturally. That the blockbusters that we got at that time were not really part of the culture. People were watching them, obviously. You know, the Fast and the Furious movies did good numbers and all that shit. But you know, you think about like A Man Apart or Torque. Or Biker Boys, or Jurassic Park 3. You know, these movies made money, but they weren't movies that they didn't have staying power in the same way. And the movies that people continue to talk about, especially in that watershed year of 2007, 2008, There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, Zodiac to a lesser extent, but it was definitely still part of it. And, um, all, all bummer movies, really. Yeah, and that was what people, that was weirdly, I mean, it was what, like, they were doing that shit on SNL, you know? Like, those movies were a huge fucking yeah. deal. Juno? Juno. Like no, you're right about that. You're absolutely right about that. You know, quality be damned in any of these cases doesn't matter. The point is, these were movies for, let's say, quote-unquote, adults. And then, with Iron Man, you have this shift towards a blockbuster economy again, the likes of which you probably hadn't seen since the mid-90s. Because, like, I remember mm-hmm. when that... Sh- and also Dark Knight, but... No, no, you're right. Dark, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yes, you're quite right about that. But the, those two movies basically secured the position of the of the blockbuster and, and, uh, and a more sort of adolescent worldview still demanding to be taken seriously in the same way, where, like, the Dark Knight is, like, Sidney Lumet's Prince of the City, but with stupid masks on. And then Iron Man is a movie about how we need privateer war contractors fighting the Iraq War. And that it's a job better left to millionaires with drones than it is to soldiers, mm-hmm. you know. And, and uh, the Dark Knight, I think its legacy, I mean, it has a lot to do with its legacy in many places. One that I keep coming back to, and I think is really interesting, it's the idea that with a lot of reboots in in uh, legacy sequels in the 2010s, a lot of them feel the need to be like gritty and grimy and like so Zack Snyder bears of that front as and, well yes you know. and it's like for me like something that we've covered like Josh Trank's Fantastic Four yeah. um, it's just like what if it's just all real and garish and, yeah but, and I even like that movie I think Trank is a very interesting guy um, and also a nice a nice man um, but uh, I agree that it's it's a zero sum game I mean as I remember I can't remember, I think it was Nick Pinkerton or somebody was talking about John Carpenter's Vampires and how he said that that movie was, the calculus behind it was trying to beat Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez at their own game, which is a zero-sum game. 
Because if you if you if you're trying to sink to the level of something that really wasn't attempting to rise to anything at all beyond just being like, oh, it's vampires and guns and stuff, and you know whatever that stuff has its place. I don't mean to rag on that movie, but like, if you're constantly lowering yourself, if you're John Carpenter, one of the great artists of the American screen, and you feel like you can do no better for yourself than to try to make a movie in competition with something that had no ambition then every the ceiling just keeps getting lower and lower and lower and then you know the the shortest of us stand the tallest in that case it just doesn't it doesn't you know nothing good comes of it so if you make watchmen and dark knight and all this and you're like trying to prove how serious it is or even like the planet of the like dawn of the planet of the apes where it's like this is actually very serious business this is a very serious yeah. movie about a monkey. You better yes. fucking take They're the taking shit all this very seriously. Yeah. yeah. And, that's and that's where we are now, is if you don't take the plight of a chimp seriously, then apparently you you are an enemy of the American cinema. Yeah, right, right. Um, and with Prometheus, I think it's, it's interesting that it tries to do all this. And, like, it, it almost stands out in... 2012 blockbusters um because like around this time we have things like uh abraham lincoln vampire hunter uh, <laughs> amazing spider-man dark knight rises yeah. born legacy these are all summer movies that are just like what i mean do expendables too you know like total recall remake like they're not i mean like scout says like quality be downs but it's like they could exist now um sure they'd look worse but surely like they're a product of the earlier half of the decade um, and Prometheus, like, tried to stick out, and yeah, yeah. Um, there's so much, there's really just so much craft here that I really find like a, a treasure. Um, well, I think we'll never get movies like this again. No, you're right. Yeah, well, Ridley's kind of the last guy because he's. I think whether he's bankable enough, studios keep giving him money. You know, the idea that, you know, if Prometheus did well, that's the only reason Covenant got made. But you go on you go on Ridley's IMDb, there's untitled alien project or, you know, whatever. And it's like, all right, we'll see. We'll see if anybody gives him money now. We got, the, we got, the, we got the prayer candles burning for that one. We really want there to be a third one. But I think that that's what's happening now is you watch all these movies that come out the mid-budget not that these movies are mid-budget they're not they're very expensive but the idea that the mid-budget movie has completely disappeared and so the movies that get made now either they throw so much money at advertising and i think they trick a lot of people into seeing them like i was saying earlier because a lot of people i think you should have to find prometheus you should have to search out covenant not just like have Every movie you go to see tell you you need to go see this movie because like it's not for you. These movies aren't for you. These alien if you're not into alien movies like all the way through and through by this point, they're just they're not your they're not for you. But the thing too that I found kind of interesting is that when Prometheus and Covenant were coming out, I had like hardcore sci-fi nerd guys that I had met working at the record store being like, well, these are so disappointing because they're not, you know, whatever the fuck, whatever the thing they walked in there thinking it was going to be, and it's like. But do those guys know what they want? Well, that's my question. Is really question. Yeah. What do you? What? Yeah. What exactly did you want from that particular experience that you weren't like getting? Because the way to me, the calculus 
of, of Prometheus and Covenant, right? If you try to like break them down to their essential components to try to explain actually what you're seeing, I just can't imagine being disappointed by that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I understand maybe seeing a trailer for an alien movie and thinking, well, this would be the best movie I've ever seen. And then you go in and you're like, well, I don't know what that was, but I don't like it. And that's, right. you know, that's, that's, that's how a lot of people, you know, come to these things, that they're not, it's not Iron Man. It's not easy. Well, I was just telling you that story the other day of a friend, a mutual friend of ours. We were talking about these two films, and he's like, yeah, those movies are dog shit. They're terrible. I'm like, well, why? What's, what's the problem? And he's like, well, they undo all the lore that the comics set up. And I'm like, okay, but do you like the movies, though? Or do you like the comics? And you're letting that all kind of bleed into one thing. Because just like Scout just said, I mean, I can't imagine going and sitting in the theater for Prometheus or Covenant and looking at the production design, editing, every, everything that went into putting this movie together and not All going... All the superficial pleasures yeah, of the cinema. Right. That was a beautifully put-together sci-fi film. Like, I, I, okay, what more do you want, really, <laughs> from a movie that kills every character? <laughs> but that's... And, and it's like, you know, I I think I, on one, on one hand, I kind of get, although I don't agree with, um, the Lindelof anxiety, like coming off of Lost, lots of controversy, sure. um, not much satisfaction, and it's like famously lend a hand um, to script doctoring this, um, you know, and and he has that reputation of being someone that leaves a lot of questions unanswered and wanting to always have a team to collaborate and wanting different points of views and those views ending up in the script. Um, and more questions to have answered. And that's why I think his, his script works much better in television. Um, but it's also, it's, yeah, the thing that you're talking about is, is something that also drives me a little around the bend, is the degree to which we have put stock into... I mean, we, you know, we've been joking this entire fucking time about being the Ricardos. And the reason that shit got made is because Aaron Sorkin is involved. And why is Aaron Sorkin involved? Because he wrote some television 20 years ago. And people still think that that's the gold standard of the way that things are supposed to be. That craft... I really think if we say the movie's name one more time, he's going to pop He's going to appear like uh, Candyman. <laughs> but that's... I mean, you know, as a counterpoint to that, look what just made all the money in the world, Jackass 4, which has no script, Right. And it's got it's got ideas on a napkin about how to torture Danger Aaron, and people like that. So it's like I don't understand why it is that we still hold the screenwriter in this climate of the ugliest movies ever fucking made being released week after week. Why does it matter what people say or do, and why they say or do them, if you just enjoy the spectacle of them saying and doing those things? It's a bit like the Simon Barrett conversation we had when we did Blair Witch. That's that's like. They, they, you want to place all the blame on someone else, or like we mentioned, um, Rise of Skywalker earlier, Chris Terrio. Like, yeah. okay, we can't just like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna blame him for writing the stupid thing they told him to, you know? Right, it's, 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 there's this, there's this like chain that goes that's that goes nowhere for accountability for these things, and it's like, well, no, you, you. You know what you're doing because you were hiring this guy because he's an Academy Award-winning screenwriter and all this fucking shit. And you're like, okay, can you write us the dumbest thing you've ever written? Thank you. We need it by five because the movie has to be done by six. And putting stock into 
a screenwriter's ability to make or break a movie is buying into infernal mathematics that lead you to mm-hmm. believing that the most important part of a movie is the story. Which I'm, I'm not going to tell you that it's not important. Everybody is like certainly welcome to relate to film in the way that they are. But to me, what difference does it make if the movie looks like a fucking oil slick? You know what I mean? Like, what difference does it make who's saying what and why and why you got this very expensive screenwriter who was on Lost and it's just like at a certain point you have to let that go and appreciate what the artifact is. You know, the movie is not the script. Yeah, the movie is the movie. For sure. Um, would we like to um, point out any more thoughts on Prometheus or do we want to move on to Covenant? We can no, go ahead. certainly do both. We don't have to... Yeah. Um, oh, we, we want to move on to Covenant? Sure. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, this one rolls. <laughs> uh, you guys were right. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> You've all sacrificed so much to be here and be a part of this thing we're doing. This crew is made up of couples. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission. And everyone back on Earth is really grateful for your hard work. And your courage. We're making history here. This is wheat. What are the odds of finding human vegetation this far from Earth? Who planted it? You hear that? What? Nothing. No birds. No animals. Nothing. What happened here? I thought this was very tense and I, I could sort of like thought the opposite of what everyone was saying at the time that I, that I read. Yeah. Um, I, I felt scared. I like the characters. Um, I like that they're all couples. This movie doesn't like it's this movie doesn't like humanity all that much. Uh, all that much. It's uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, I, I found David and Walter very engaging. I don't know. It, it just, it felt very complete and it felt 
like a night. I mean, maybe I'm just very easy on it. Um, it just it feels a nice mesh of what we grew to know from the franchise and also what Ridley wanted to do with Prometheus. I don't mind all the questions about because, like, I don't know about y'all. It, like, we've talked about religion a few times on the pod. Like, um, with movies that deal with it. Like, I'm I'm not all that religious. Like. I went to Catholic middle school and then like kind of faltered out once I, once I left, but, but no, and it's like, I don't mind all these religious philosophical ideas being unanswered. Cause like, they don't have an answer. Exactly. It's like, I don't expect Ridley Scott to be the one where it's like, I got it. You guys. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, um, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's a, a like I, tradition of I just American movies love. in conversation with the infinite, let's yeah. say. And I, and I think that there's just, one more, one more thing before I forget to mention. I just love the cat. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah, um, I just love the casts between these two, yeah. um, and especially this one, like Simon McBride. My love, Catherine Waterston. Um, oh yeah, yeah, Billy Crudup. You know, it's like, uh, yikes, Jesse Smollett, and yikes, James Franco. <laughs> uh, well, they do get killed. Uh, notable, so. like this is the. I was just gonna say, like notable. This is the last Franco. Right? In this and Disaster Artist are kind of like the last of. Franco's existence. Um, 2017 was a bleak but year. But anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with you. I think the casting is, is, is excellent. And it was people that, like, we hadn't really seen in these kinds of roles before. Like, Danny McBride is an odd choice for something like this because he's got such baggage as a performer. Um, but acquits himself quite nicely. Um, Amy Simons is amazing um, and should be in everything. Catherine Watterson is so good. At that point, yeah. I think she was known primarily as being the love interest in Inherent Vice, which is an amazing yes. performance. I didn't we, I didn't talk enough about Inherent Vice or, or her in Inherent Vice on her episode, but it's yeah, she's incre- I think she just has so much presence. Oh yeah, when she's only a figment um, of imagination in that movie primarily, and like she plays in flashbacks, but it's like yeah, I I, I love her in that, and also I really like Queen of Earth. Like I understand Oxfam Perry is pretty divisive but she's very good in that yeah i don't love that movie but i agree that the components are good you know it's not the there's 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 no big problem with it it just doesn't quite do anything for me yeah why do you have a personal vendetta for alex house perry i work for him actually oh 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 okay, <laughs> was just okay. i drove trucks on the set of her smell Oh my god! Okay, I didn't mean to. Oh, that's fine. I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a vendetta against them at all. But um, was, that was kind of funny that I did have that answer. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, jeez, yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. That's that's my favorite one. Yeah, I don't, that one doesn't do anything for me either. That's I don't, you know. I again, I got I'm nothing really against him, but I don't, I don't like that movie. And I was, it was kind of frustrating to watch it after having worked on it for hours and hours and hours and hours and being like, I just don't feel anything. <laughs> That is fascinating. Yeah. I think it's like, like a really big example of people who are like small guy. I don't know about his movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, like maybe the big, biggest example of that. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, there was a period where that was how I was uh, making money and living in New York was was as a truck PA on movies that nobody remembers. <laughs> um, but I did work on Dance Leads fourteen, which is a masterpiece. So there's that. That's important. That is important. Um, but uh, yeah, Covenant, Covenant. Is, I fucking I love that movie. It's 
It's so grim. And like you're saying, it leaves a lot of questions unanswered about theology and all that stuff. But I think that, that there is no other way that it could have ended. There's no way that you make a movie that was that violent and that sort of filled with incidents and is so insistent about there being an answer and a place because the whole idea is they're going to find their perfect you know, planet, their utopia, they're going to build the cabin by the lake and all that stuff. And it's like, well, no, because that's paradise and they never get there, right? And that's... I think a very uh, heartfelt sentiment from somebody who saw his brother, you know, his, his like closest friend and confidant, you know, kind of lose hope and in himself, somebody who was so full of life, no longer wanting to live must, I, I can't even imagine, honestly, I can't imagine the, I mean, I can, cause I've had friends who've taken their own lives. It's like, it's, it does mess with your fundamental conception of that stuff. What I can't imagine, I suppose, is being 80 years old and having it happen to somebody that you've known your entire life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think also mirroring Lawrence of Arabia that, uh, David is studying in Prometheus and we see that he's trying to absorb a lot of human culture, like the music, the art, um, basketball, which is a callback to resurrections. Right. Um, Everyone's favorite scene. And, <laughs> and yeah. And you know, that Lords of Arabia is very much about the, the quest for the unknown. And well, I guess like Lords of Arabia is very much about going after something literally alien, like foreign to the O'Toole character. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, it's yeah, uh, it's 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 yeah. the search for it, it, it's the search for something external to your experiences. I mean, that's a man raised by colonizers and rejected by them. Where he talks about how his mother and father didn't marry, and um, you know that he feels more at home with the people of Arabia and all that stuff. Which, of course, is just like perfect sort of you know kind of abuser language. You know, it's like I. I feel more at home with you people, even though I am engineering your downfall without your say, basically, where I'm giving you the hope that you could possibly escape the colonizing rule of the English and the Turkish, but ultimately, I'm not going to do anything for you, and then I'm going to leave right when you could possibly use the help the most, because at this point, I've done so much damage, and especially to your image in the eyes of the people who do control your destiny, that there is no way to recover from what I have done to you. And Lawrence himself was an even more divisive figure than the film paints him as. I mean, he was a guy who was in favor of, like, gassing tribes and stuff like that. He was a fucking menace. He was a disgrace. And that's, yeah. that's the kind of interesting thing with Covenant, is that after introducing this character who has modeled himself after, like we said, a pilgrim in a foreign land, he becomes the version of Lawrence that you don't see in the film. He becomes the vicious gangster that he was in real life. Yeah, for sure. Um, and now it's and now it's like trying to overthrow. I think I think David Walter are fascinating. Mm. Like, never really seen villains quite like this. Even if we're going back to the Roy Batty comparison, like Roy Batty's arc is over one movie, while this is, I feel like ex like really well expanded uh, across two. And he's trying to wipe out everybody, uh, <laughs> just because he's like. I don't feel loved enough yep. by Wayland, even if Wayland was trying to caretake for um, me and Vickers. That's the, the wrong character. Yes. Um, and it's sort of like dividing your your attention between what you made and what you actually 
created mm -hmm. i suppose that's uh, interesting no it's true it's it's you know it's yeah. he says in his little speech he says the closest thing he'll ever have to a son while his real daughter is standing right there one of those perfect right. fuck yous mm -hmm. um but yeah you're right it's 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 simply that he wasn't loved enough because in covenant the first scene is him being like oh you're going to die and i won't suddenly it seems as though i'm the more important person here and i will be calling the shots and then he gets his chance, and so now he just has to destroy all of humanity to find the perfect organism. Mm -hmm. What is the line in Alien? What is what is Ian Holm says? He says, I admire its purity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love the uh, opening title card, just some thoughts I had over here. Like, it, and it's like the exact... Um, opening as the original alien like it's for covenant yeah 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 for covenant yeah. well he, he plays with a lot of the same it's not, it's, and we mentioned soderbergh earlier and it reminds me of like when soderbergh would use the red white and black warner brothers logo sometimes yeah. yep. like in the magic mics and it's like oh man it's the little things you know <laughs> but i think that that's also kind of what stymies us about the overall dislike of these movies is we are really playing with a lot of the same pieces in constructing Prometheus and Covenant. You've got strong female leads that ultimately survive the movies. You've like you've got again real world class class structure between the rich and the working class. Like like all these little pieces that went into making Alien and Aliens so loved. That's not what's important to people overall. They but then at the same time, you get so much of, like, the alien or other things fucking ripping people apart in Covenant, and that's not good enough either. Like, I don't know what people This movie's gnarly. Yeah, it's pretty grisly. Yeah, it's fucking gross. Very much. For as toned down with blood blockbusters have become since 2017, like, this is really stood out yeah. as something like well, i mean covenant especially it, it's very radar yeah, yeah and it's able to pull off i think a lot of what they weren't able to pull off in alien where it's like the idea and again lending lending to the idea that ridley is evolving as a filmmaker is it's like no we can do more now we can do more with digital we can do more with vfx so it's like the thing poured out of the guy's spine or the whole amy simon's death scene where the the fucking lander explodes like it's the most vicious shit in the world, but it's like, okay, so if you don't want a philosophical film in space, i.e. Prometheus, maybe you want a slasher film in space, i.e. Covenant, and everyone's like, no, I don't want that either. I don't want that either, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God, and the way, like, Leeward's just, like, flails. Oh, oh God, it's so oh, yeah. gross. Oh, all the tall grass shit. The tall grass shit is the most gnarly fucking shit of all time. It's so yeah. beautiful. It's <laughs> just like the Lost World. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a good movie. Um, yeah. But no, and it's like, for me, I, I, I mean, I kind of mentioned this in our Jackass episode that I'm very squirmy, but I'll watch anything, and I got really tense Um during most of this, because it's like I, I feel like the CG is really good here. Yeah, it and, is. Um, yeah, and, and the effects are just, you know, just at, and you know, I like that the actors are very committed. Um, I, I don't know. I'm speaking very vaguely. No, no, no. But like, you're right. 
it's you know it's every 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 part of it that would contribute to it being sold to you in a way that you believe what you're seeing but not in not in the usual kind of bullshit shorthand that people use there's no they fly now <laughs> right yeah and it's not it's not the it, also ridley's making these movies i mean there's cgi of course there is but there's real sets there's real costumes there's real everything so so whatever that lends to a performance or the gravity of a film you're getting that even when he's making movies on foreign planets in space it's well the costume design the costume design in covenant looks exactly like the kind of shit you'd be wearing it's 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 functional i love the little hats yeah Yeah. the little hats yeah little hats are great that's my friend matt uh was uh, sorry briefly my friend matt perget he went to a set visit they flew him to australia because he was writing for the metro in new york and he was on set and he was watching that movie get made and all that shit is real you know like very cool you can't fucking beat that yeah no no way um and if I were to rag on, I mean, Prometheus, I think the fact that it just goes like, wait until next time for it's like Sean David's uh, quest for answers, uh, sort of like Matrix Reloaded, where it's just right. part two coming, or like Matrix, or Back to the Future yeah. um, a little bit. And it's like, I think that serves its purpose, but I think that, and very special occasions like those examples, it's like, that doesn't fit with Prometheus, I think. Um, I, 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 and in here, it's more. It more just feels. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> like, our, like our heroes lose, and it's like, yeah. wow, this is real interesting. But we, we the, probably the dorkiest thing that that Tucker and I do is 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 dream write the script for the next Alien film, and we definitely need there to be a scene. With uh, uh, Numi Rapace and Fastbender just before he fucking kills her or whatever, like we we need just a little bit more of that because we both love Numi so much. Mm. She's great, and I like that. Um, we, we didn't talk about her enough though, and it's like sort of the the fact that she came from Girl the Dragon Tattoo, mm-hmm. and Ridley's like, I like this. Um, let me make the lead of my of my Alien prequel is like such a such a jump, but she has like the method acting um, technique to like really hone in on on the um, in the gripping scenery. Well, so she's in uh, that De Palma film, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same year as Prometheus. Yes. That was yeah, quite yeah. a year. Damn right. That was. I remember yeah. somebody talking about how it's like sick double feature. Yeah, <laughs> like she. She gave one of the sick day at the movies fiercest performances in Dragon Tattoo, and we rewarded her by turning her into Talia Shire in America, where for a couple of years all she could do was play like the put upon sad girlfriends to our dumbest actors. You gotta listen to me. That's right. Oh my god. But. Um, yeah. yeah, but there's, and it's, I think it's really just, I, and you know, this movie, this movie is just like really divided people. Mm-hmm. Um, I go through every letterbox review for people I follow for the movies I watched. That must um, have given you whiplash. Yes. Yes. And this, I mean, like granted I do it for every movie. Um, so it's, it's more like, okay, well I guess like some people did like, or this one didn't like, yeah. And you're, and you're totally right. Like, 
ah, this this like some people would be like hated it. Yeah. This movie twenty seventeen. It's a comedy to me. And then like some people would be like, wow. this is Ridley's magnum opus. <laughs> like like wow, this is, like the culmination of everything. And uh, I I find it utterly like so cool that we can have something like this. And um, five years later, it I think it still holds true um, that people will, will be divided. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I find, first of all, I find that response, this movie, this very serious sci-fi movie, this is in fact, to me, a comedy. That's how advanced I am. I watch this movie to laugh at it. Uh, <laughs> but, You're so smart, Ridley. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, I see. You've marshaled all these resources for your serious film. Well, guess what? To me, this is a comedy. The, fa- the funniest scene is when the actor melts the guy's face. face that shit's hilarious. It's so funny. God, I gotta tell Reddit that I called this movie a comedy. They're gonna love me. They're gonna love me there. Wait till the guys at work hear what I said on Letterboxd about Alien Covenant. Wait till they fucking hear about this. I'm going to be the toast of the office. Get to that water cooler. Yeah. (laughs) Right next to the weird pictures of celebs that we've taped up near the water cooler at the shop. I'm going to tell them what I said. Wait till they hear me. Wait till they get a load of me. And they're going to go, I didn't see that movie and I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't get this joke. (laughs) Is it funny? Who's Ridley Scott? Wait, who's who's Ridley Scott? What are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> I'm the, I'm the, I'm the one the <laughs> Is that that movie from 1970? Are you talking about the one from the, from the past? <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, no, but like he made a sequel. He made like a bunch of sequels. You, fuck, you don't get it. The point is, it's not funny, but I'm calling it funny. He ends up defending the movie's existence. <laughs> the movie's existence. <laughs> I actually kind of like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, it's like kind of cool. I don't know. I guess they got staying power. I've been watching yeah, all of them for years. Yeah, it's pretty arresting. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I guess it's actually pretty good. I probably shouldn't be laughing at it. It's. I did. I did pay a lot of money to see it, and then I bought it on DVD so I could call it a comedy. I got snacks. I had to pay for parking. I'm just imagining, I'm imagining a guy that works on like an oil rig using the word arresting, <laughs> which, is, which is so great. That's awesome. What? I said the visuals. They're arresting. Could you focus up a little bit? And then an alien attacks their oil rig. Exactly, and then it's and underwater. We get them like Danny yeah, McBride's like... character in Texas. That's right. No, Tennessee. Sorry. Tennessee. 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 Yeah. That's right. This is the opening to your Alien 5 script. This is exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Could you maybe pay attention to the task at hand? This is an oil rig. It's kind of temperamental. But the movie was arresting. There's a lot of moving parts to this operation. If we fuck this up, there could be a lot of casualties. Could you, could you focus? 
<laughs> Waterston was good. <laughs> I just do this to pay for my kid's school. I don't really like being here. I don't know you that well. <laughs> Prep the med bay. <laughs> oh God. I like the Curzel score. <laughs> That's right. Jed Curzel, he's the brother of Justin Curzel. Perhaps you've seen some of his work. He brings something of a Ridley Scott style to projects that perhaps would have rejected such an approach. His work on 2015's Macbeth is fairly underrated, considering he was trying to fuse old-fashioned storytelling with a newfangled version of film grammar. Oh my god. Assassin's Creed! That's true. to get across. Assassin's Creed! I just love the idea of someone like hear anything you're saying, and I don't care. I haven't cared about a thing that you said. I hate this job. I hate working with yeah, you. Like say it all over again. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, the drill's oh, off God. now. I can start from the top. I was saying that Alien Covenant to me is a comedy. He's like, I, I haven't seen that, but I did watch Being the Ricardos last night. <laughs> <laughs> now that's comedy. <laughs> Being the Ricardos is a comedy to me. You should but really see what Desi and Lucy get up to. <laughs> oh God. I wonder what Lucy and Desi are up to. <laughs> Did you hear they're making training the Ricardos? <laughs> Burying the Ricardos? <laughs> Jeez. Um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and I, I, we mentioned Judd Cazell. I suppose. Yes. That's, that's doing we'll take this. I thought I thought um, it was kind of funny that the score for Prometheus is this much more Wagnerian sort of, you know, there are no callbacks or any of that stuff. And Jed Kurzel, I think, probably getting that assignment, being like, oh, I get to get to play with these themes and do all this stuff. Like, absolutely, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to bring back that stuff. And that's really one of the few, you know, kind of overt. Hey, you see what we're doing here? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Who's that? That's my son, Gimli. You know, that kind of shit. Um, and Jeff Goldsmith score for the original is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jerry Goldsmith, an incredible, incredible composer. But the, that's the kind of the cool thing about the series as well. We talked about the various components that get changed around and you can mess with genre a little bit. There's a different composer for every one of those films. I don't think there's been a single person to repeat one. Elliot Goldenfall does a great job on three. James Horner kind of collected his greatest hits for Aliens. and Certainly like a very famous... Collaboration with him and Cameron. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah beautiful, uh, and beautiful uh, these two swap composers, but I think that there's a lot of similarities uh, with how they complement the visuals because it's like very appropriate for for each movie. It's very distinct, especially co- I love the Covenant score. Yeah, yeah it's really, really, um, really very pretty. I think they're both wonderful. And I always thought Darius Kanji was the one who shot this, but it was Daniel, or is Darius uh, Walski. Yes, yes. yes. I believe no. it's, uh, Darius Kanji shoots uh, on, still shoots on 35 when he can. Darius Walski is much more uh, digital forward. Yeah, yeah, and it looks like this is Ridley's, like, guy, pretty yeah. much. For, uh, yeah, once, once the Prometheus switch over to digital for Ridley, yeah, I don't know if he's gone back. Mm-hmm. 
he hired he hired John Matheson for a TV pilot that never aired about the Vatican City. Um, but other than that, all of his features and even his yeah, even his uh, Raised by Wolves episodes were Darius Darius Wolski. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, he he was interviewed on the film stage. But, yeah. Ah. Yeah, Tim McCann, Conrad Donald, very good interview. When he was uh, at uh, News of the World out. Oh sure. Where everyone re- everyone remembers where they were. <laughs> yeah, good, good, if underseen movie. Mm-hmm. I love how the movie starts too. Like, there's such urgency. Oh yeah. Uh, to everything, and it's just like, you know, there's no grand introduction to everybody. Like, nobody gets like a thing. Like, two people aren't playing chess or something. No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Like yeah, and then it's just like Franco is immediately burnt. Uh, in America, just, like, crazy. Like you start with yeah, right, right, right. Everyone stands up and, and pop champagne cheer. bottles. And, yeah, we brought um, champagne to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> we got him. Just in the case, ladies um, and gentlemen, we got him. We got him. <laughs> it's like <laughs> well, covenant not announcing Bin Laden or Absolutely. something. You know? like, covenant just feels like a movie where they were. Even though it feels, and also I guess we should mention there's that prologue that was released online. Oh yeah, beautiful. I think yeah, the, the great, a great little short film. Yeah, there's a couple of those. They were doing. I mean, it's clearly they were trying to streamline these things because I think that they were afraid of getting above the two hour mark by much more. So I think a lot of that stuff made its way to the to the online stuff. Was that a part of the deal? Like you couldn't. No, I just think that they're aware that Americans' attention spans are short. I mean, because Blade Runner... Unless it's Marvel. Unless it's Marvel, then you can, you know... Then it's like, okay, it could be three hours. Yeah, exactly. Seven hours of character introductions. People complain that it's not... That it's too short. That's right. I don't think you guys really gave Alf as much screen time in Endgame as he deserved. That's a rich character, and you kind of left him on the cutting room floor. (laughs) The reaction when... It was announced that the Batman is going to be three hours. People were like, "Fuck yeah!" I'm like, really? there, "There's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole thing at work where now people give a fucking holy fucking shit, fucking shit about how much a movie uh, costs, cost makes, yeah. and how long it is. Who cares? <laughs> to do with anything? <laughs> oh my god! Who cares? <laughs> Like, every time I'm, like, scrolling Twitter or fucking whatever, and I see a, a post from Film Stage or whoever, and they're like, the runtime of this movie has been revealed. Great. It takes me 10 minutes to go to the grocery store. Should I be tweeting about that too? Like, who cares? The movie is the movie. Yeah. It's not like the Avengers Endgame was going to be five hours long. But then someone, like, the movie is the movie. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, Roger Corman was brought in. They brought Roger Corman out of retirement to fix Avengers Endgame. It just doesn't matter. No, it if the movie's good, matter. people will sit through it however long it is. Well, like, it was right. kind of like telling that the same people who were vehement that Covenant sucked were also super into Blade Runner 2049, which is, I think, 19 days oh, long. Oh, same here. That's, that's good. Yeah. and I was like, you know, yeah. you, like that that one goes nowhere in no kind of hurry. You're just walking around and hanging out, and you know, if it was a Simon Leong film, I would have called it a masterpiece. But because it's Denny Villeneuve, I think it's terrible. Um, and that's certainly, 
you know, that's it. it, it so people, if you, again, it's the, it's this fucking bullshit lore thing that you're talking about, where Blade Runner 2049 is like, is Deckard a replicant? Let's fucking find out, baby. And like, I don't care. I don't fucking care. I don't. Just make them. Just make art, please. Today we're gonna find out if Marty McFly wore high tops. <laughs> Careful, you're going to will that into existence. <laughs> Thankfully, Michael J. Fox seems done, which is, like, good for him yeah. to get out and just, like, try to enjoy his life. And that way we don't Guys, get... I just got a notification from Twitter. Um, Tom Holland, cast in Back to the Future 4. <laughs> I'm going to dump that motherfucker's books. Awful. I'm going to dump Tom Holland's books. I'm going to put his head in a toilet and shove him in a fucking locker. That guy sucks. I guess with all my millions, I'll become a landlord. I think that's what I'll do. I'll charge you money to live. But like, not like a Who's Pedro Almodova? Who's that? Yeah, right? Martin Scorsese doesn't understand blue screens or cameras. He's never touched them. He's never been anywhere near a camera. I've been in Academy Motion Pictures. <laughs> like Cherry. Like Cherry. <laughs> the worst, the worst shit ever. That fucking movie. Ugh. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I'd rather have like a like I a hair no hit by a dog than see that movie again. <laughs> um I had no idea that there were gonna be two Michael Fassbenders and that was like pretty cool. Yeah, that, that took me by surprise. That is just like that was the direction they went in with um with David and then the Walter character. Um you mentioned twenty forty nine and it's and it's the idea that technology evolves and it's like they're going to keep making variations of these robots like they keep making variations of iPhones or something mm-hmm. um, and how the two will interact is sort of the um, the crux of, of their their dilemma and Which, how they, they see humanity. Because um, well, like like... really you can separate the uh, coven into like two halves and I don't really mind that there's a divide until we get to meet David again and uh, find out what happened to Shaw and everything that happens before that. It's, well, that's uh, to me, the stuff that like m- m- sticks out the most in my brain is all the two robots interacting stuff. It's all the conversations about creation and, you know, you have music in you, brother, that kind of a thing like that is all so, I fucking love that shit so much. It's, whew. Well, it's, it's a movie that I, there's something to say. It's not like world building for the sake of world building. It's yeah. okay. No, we're gonna wax rhapsodical on philosophy for a little while, instead of like telling you how this planet was destroyed and now they're coming for Earth and like ugh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, none of that matters. And maybe just this one point, like with the engineer, it's like genocide was kind of useful. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's a, uh, listen, you heard it here first. Jack thinks genocide is good. No, 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 no. This is like that drama no, 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 no. don't take <laughs> jokes out of context. Like, I, I, court, I defy know. someone to take that out of context and make it sound bad. In the Alien Covenant Prometheus episode, That's right. you said. <laughs> you're doing you're doing Rogan later in the month, right? <laughs> right after this. You're doing Rogan right after this? And then you're going, on, you're going on Tucker Carlson and Mar. You're hitting all the, all the shows, making the rounds. Yeah. God. Well, the thing I like that making the rounds means I'm gonna be talking to like the worst, worst people in the world. Yeah. That's the rounds to me. You talk to 
comedians Joe Rogan and Bill Maher and journalist Tucker Carlson, guys who are really good at their jobs. There's a thing I think Very chill. especially interesting about the public's reaction to these two movies where you talk to somebody who hates them and you go, okay, what do you think of all the other alien movies? And like, I hate those too. Like, like they like the first one. Right. They maybe like alien. Oh, they probably like aliens, but then it's Everyone like, okay, so you don't like three. You don't like four. You don't like AVP. You don't like AVPR. Why did you even go see Prometheus? <laughs> you haven't been slapped around enough by this franchise. You still have some fight left in you? Yeah. Right, like that's, I think about my grandparents. My grandparents saw everything that was out because it was an excuse not to talk to each other. You know? <laughs> and that's, I feel like it's just, it's out, so we're going. We're going to the movies. We're spending $400 in one trip. We're going to get the Muncher cocktail for Ghostbusters after we're old, and we're going to see a movie we hate. I think, too, there is, there, is, there is very much, and we've seen this in the proliferation of social media and the internet and blogs and YouTube channels and all the shit that everybody does. There is some value for people of being able to have a conversation about the thing that you just saw and be like, it's terrible, I didn't like it. I'm above that thing. I do think that that is a kind of a, a sensation that people chase you know, to be able to, to, to have those conversations and sort of view themselves as part of, even for a moment, the critical apparatus, whatever it is, you know. I think that everybody likes to think that they can enter the whatever, the formerly rarefied world of film criticism, which is now nothing at all, and, and be like, I saw that, I didn't like it. It's like, cause that's like, a, I don't know. It's like having an opinion is part of the, the, the thrill. You know, I think like I, as a bartender, I encounter that shit all the time. Whereas people going to movies, they knew they were going to hate them and then coming back and being, that sucked. What'd you expect? What you, what you they want to feel validated. Yeah, yeah, there it is. And yeah, and people do like that. I mean, it's, it's the flip side of validation the, is satisfying. Validation is satisfying. It's, you know, going in with a, with a belief about something, having it confirmed by the fact that you're you can only have had one reaction to it it's this it's the flip side of oh i know all these characters it's wolverine he's dancing the batusi yeah. they some people just want all the money in the world <laughs> sorry did you write all these puns before the show or are you just are these all off the, off the fly off the dome <laughs> all the all the ridley puns all the puns in the world <laughs> Okay, I'm muting Scout. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, the the I mean, I mentioned earlier. Uh, I found the leeward sequence pretty impeccable. Um, that's where where it's like it's really taking its time, and I think that there's a pretty tense undercurrent mm -hmm. um, throughout the movie because it starts with the uh, Franco death mm. that we feel like something is bound to go horribly wrong again. And the movie and the audience have such an awareness of the alien movies by now, uh, like we mentioned before. It's like, it's almost playing into um, the deaths. And it's like, it wants, to, it wants to see this cruelty happen to these people who are suspecting life. But then it's just like, in order to like create life, life must be taken from them. In a way, because like the movie is is all about this like inbreeding and like um, 
yeah, it's it's really interesting because like once we meet uh, David, mm-hmm. then it's it's like slowed down. But then up until then, it's like everyone else is just in a frenzy. I think I think like the first half is great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the, the, the 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 violence in these movies is so jarring. I mean, even now, you never really fully get used to just how grotesque it all is. Yeah. And like the the courage of your convictions. I love the paste that they use on his face oh, too. It's so gross. It's a little later, it's to like so gross. The, yeah. yeah, like future painkillers or something. Yeah, the biofoam <laughs> stuff so, they use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The green paste. Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. Well, that's a world that you can like. You, it's it's one of those things where you really do feel like you can kind of reach out and touch it. Not that you'd want to, but you could. You know, that's how it feels. Is that the important stuff has been built up in a way where you're like, oh, that's what that would look like. You know, that, that stuff, stuff as opposed to, you know, where did Iron Man get his suit? <laughs> where did Indiana Jones get his whip? The floor. <laughs> I keep forgetting we're getting, we're getting that fifth one this year. Mean goals. <laughs> Can't wait for that. Yeah. Old man Harry went so well. We'll be talking last about time. that at the water cooler. <laughs> <laughs> to me, Indiana Jones Five, brother, you better believe that's a comedy. We're talking about because <laughs> if there's anything that Harrison Ford is known for, it's quick comic timing. That guy's got it all uh, figured out. <laughs> I mean, Harrison Ford is probably my favorite stand-up comic after Bill Maher. <laughs> Oh my god, um, I do really like the the banter. And I mean, speaking of that sort of, like, I I think the banter in this one is better. Yeah, but it's not like that's what Prometheus was after, because I think a lot of like us, I saw in a few reviews and like videos online, people we mentioned a few times, Alien feels like it's improvised. Yeah, um, yeah. and I, it's been a while since I've I've seen Alien and Aliens, um. But I do remember that it that it's like a lot of seven a lot of great seventies movies felt this sporadic energy to their conversation. Um, yeah, I mean it's like it's like Paul Schrader's blue collar in space. I mean it's even got Yafit Koto, yes. you know. That's, that's, a, that's a great com- comparison. And yeah. that's a great movie. There is that energy to seventies movies that you can't really replicate very well anymore. That's kinda of why I like Magic Mike XXL, because it feels like it's a movie that you could have released in like nineteen seventy seven. Um, yes, you know, minus a couple of modern, you know, signposts and signifiers and music and stuff like that. But that's exactly the kind of the vibe of those things. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. The, I was going to say something. Uh, the, uh, the script for Alien, I think takes, takes a lot. I think this one mirrors Alien the most. Out of any of them, the franchise for me. Yeah. Also, and it's you. I mean, it's you know they're sitting the distress signal and they're going to another planet and they get their asses kicked. Um. So they do mirror each other, and I think that that was probably a conscious. Also ends with the Goldsmith score. I'm pretty sure. Uh. Yeah. And also, I imagine that was probably a conscious thing to be like, all right, well, what did we fucking do wrong with Prometheus? Why don't we just hue closer to the source material? Yeah, I think Covenant, in a lot of ways, is a reaction to what people didn't like about Prometheus. Them trying to yes. like focus group uh, a movie into existence, but Ridley still being like, "No, fuck this, fuck you." I'm still gonna 
<laughs> kill everybody. I'm still I'm gonna gonna kill <laughs> absolutely everybody. Yes. yes. And I'm going to do it with their loved ones watching it. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah watching is, helplessly as your husband burns to a crisp. <laughs> like that shot. And I, I think Crudup especially is he's so good. great in this. I saw, so I saw people say he's wasted. I don't think he's wasted no, he's at all. Fantastic. I think he's very well utilized. Yeah, it's probably the know. best performance uh, in the movie. Yeah, I think it's certainly up there. Right. Um, and it's like that that shot of, like, like he's lying down on the ground watching and like the spaceship go watching up. the shape yeah go up and play wow gosh well i, I think Rough. that now there's been a reverse effect to big you know blockbuster cinema too where i think you even just said it earlier we were talking about like you don't really introduce you don't introduce anybody the movie just kind of gets going and i think mm-hmm. that that's a thing that people can't handle anymore especially if it's a film that's part of a franchise people want to be like oh who, who are you and how are you related to Ellen Ripley? It's like, no, no, it's, it's not important. It doesn't matter. It's, I'm going to, like, the fact that Covenant is two hours kind of blows my mind because it flies. Yes, by. I love it. flies. Love, by. Yeah. It feels like a, a very lean, mean script. So it's, they waste no time. They kill people right away. They get to the planet within the first, like, 15 minutes. Like, the movie flies. And I, but I think that, American audiences have kind of been trained to like be slowly lowered into the pool. Like, all right, here's the universe. Here are the characters that are important. Here's the enemy. Here's the whatever. So I think that a movie like Covenant almost moves too fast. And that sounds like I'm like, no, I can handle movies and you can't. It's like, no. <laughs> I just think that that's what's happening more and more with big budget American movies. We want to think that we want a script like old when in fact, when we get it, it's not, it's not like it's the, that exact thing. Um, Cause like the kids are like, what's your name? What's your occupation? Right. What's your age? And it's like very much um, getting a biography with like the character straight up ask, asking the others. Yeah. And um, to have it just plainly stated to us feels, feels better than having it um, told any other way. But then, it's just like, wait, this this feels unnatural, but it, like you know, that's a very specific example. I guess. No, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a, a good, good one. one. Um, we should unfortunately probably uh, wrap on our end. Um, I am realizing that I should. Uh, I have to. I have a plane to catch. <laughs> Which is actually okay. True. Apologies. For, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It feels like it feels like such an extreme. <laughs> I couldn't just say I got something to do. I, right, right, right. I, I have an oil rig to catch. Oh, shoot, look at this. I'm actually do at work on an oil rig. They cannot operate it without me. I have to go tell them all and, about Alien Covenant. And I got a funny joke to share with them, man. I, I have to get around a water cooler. I got to get to that water cooler on the outside of that rig. Oh my god. Well, okay. Thank you. Uh, apologies. Oh, no, no, no. no, 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 no this, this, um, yeah. this, is, this was so fun. Thank you so, yeah, so much yeah. for having us. If we have any more thoughts on Covenant that we want to lay out there. Good. Great movie. Thumbs up. Thumbs down. Yeah, it's, um, it's really good. One, it's, it's cool that Ebert got to see Prometheus and give it a thumbs up. Hell yes. Nice to read. Um, uh, favorite scene. Let's go to anyone who would like to go first. 
We talk about the tall grass a lot. I, I know that's not the philosophical stuff that really is the meat of the. I, movie, I guess. But... Do we want to do favorite scene of like both of them or pick one? Sure. From Prometheus and I mean, I, I think I think Tucker and I probably agree on Covenant. It's the tall grass. It's the most gnarly yeah. and beautiful and horrifying thing where their faces are getting ripped off and everything like fucking all the laser sights like through the, the green, ugh. just gorgeous, gorgeous you know, yeah. image making. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. There's nothing, okay? Covenant, do you read me? Tennessee, come in for fuck's sake! Daniels! Look c-section for me the c-section is might be mine too yeah, actually yeah and i love that we're picking the most vicious shit in both yeah. of these movies mm. but like Hell yeah. yeah these movies about religion it's it's because it's at this point going to see a movie set in space more than likely all the action is going to be cgi enhanced and it's going to be people with powers punching each other <sighs> 
Dr. Shaw, we're here to put you in an anti-contamination suit, take you back to cryodeck, go to bed, guys. Dr. Shaw, she's totally doped. Prepare her. Procedures initiated. Please verbally state the nature of your injury. I need cesarean. Error. This med pod is calibrated for male patients only and does not offer the procedure you have requested. Please seek medical assistance elsewhere. Surgery. Abdominal. Penetrating injuries. Foreign body. Initiate. Surgical procedure to begin. Diagnostics. Oh, oh, oh. oh God! Come on! Initiating anesthetics. Oh. Commence surgical procedure. So I think mm. that being able to watch something it's that either that so... or it's something that we talked about in our interstellar episode like it's going to be auteur driven very cerebral like like neil degrasse tyson fat tricks this sort of like right. what we saw ridley do in the martian or, or i guess like maybe that's not the same locker. but <laughs> yeah but I, <laughs> or I it's think like at, like ad astra comes to mind or first man like these things that are made by capital d directors and right you know, take I mean, space I, travel very seriously. Take offense to the idea of Damien Chazelle as a capital D anything. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the idea of... If they're different. Then, you know, setting, so. setting movies in the future and in space and all that, um, but still kind of showing that the frailty of the human body and human drama overall is the reason we're watching a movie is really right. important. And I think that Ridley is able to do that so well because he hasn't succumbed to like you know hobbit syndrome where he's going to make an entire movie in a green bubble yeah and and the idea too of watching these characters really go through stuff is you know and 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 have it really feel like there are stakes to their frail bodies you know it's not mm-hmm. you don't know that they're going to get up again if they fall down and that yep. is becoming a rare thing in american movies Totally. Yeah. Vulnerability. And I think also with that surgery scene, something that this franchise as a whole tries to wrestle with is gender politics. Like there's mm-hmm. quite a bit of misogyny when they're the, like Waterston, uh, Rapace or, um, uh, Weaver, 
shine as the core hero when in fact like um the men surrounding them try to take control and and then they have to like really be put through the ringer only to save themselves when in fact they've been trying to save everybody else when tell everyone they were right the whole time yeah, right. <laughs> time. yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 um ty would you like to go next favorite scene uh is this is this a rewatchable for you uh yeah uh nice. but for prometheus um i'm gonna zag on the favorite scene i'm gonna say uh, when Idris Elba is flirting us the least with, uh, no, when Elba's <laughs> flirting with Charlie's Theron, she's like, "You want to <laughs> get laid?" Yeah. <laughs> Are you a robot? Uh, yeah. yeah. That's really good banter there, uh, <laughs> and yeah, kind of yeah. spices up the movie. I like that. <laughs> oh. How much longer is this gonna take? I don't know. I'm just a captain. That thing sounds like a dying cat, by the way. I'll have you know that this thing once belonged to Stephen Stills. Am I supposed to know who that is? <laughs> you know, if you want to get laid, you really don't have to pretend to be interested in the pyramid scam. I mean, you could just say, hey, trying to get laid. <laughs> I could. I could say that, right? But then it wouldn't make sense why I would fly myself a half a billion miles from every man on Earth if I wanted to get laid. Would it? <laughs> hey, uh, Vickers. Hey, Vickers. I was wondering... You robot. My room. Ten minutes. Well, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you with, love the one you with. Hell yeah. Um, Covenant. I don't know. I know. In your head, it's too perfect for you to choose anything. So, it, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, it's hard to differentiate the scenes. Probably, I would say the tall grass as well. Uh, for Covenant. Yeah. Um, for Prometheus, I will say our introduction to David. That you know, you get, you, you kind of like, I think it's probably the best AI in the entire franchise uh, for me. Cause I mean, it's, it's had the fortune of being explored throughout two movies. Um, I guess like Lance Henderson a little bit, but this one just feels like this is literally a robot or I guess like we want to call it a robot. But it's like an AI that we've never seen before in film. That's like unless you want to go like something that we see more in the decade. Um, that's really wrestling with this concept as technology advances, like Eva and Ex Machina or something. Um.
Good morning, David. Transmitting message. No response. Whilst this manner of articulation is attested in the Indo-European descendants as a purely paralinguistic form, it is phonemic in the ancestral form dating back five millennia or more. Now let's attempt Schleicher's fable. Repeat after me. Hewis, Hyasma, Huelnanahast, Akutsu, Da Drukta. Hewis, Hyasma, Huelnanahast, Akunsa, Da Drukta. Perfect. Mr. Lawrence? Yes. Flimsy, sir. Thank you. You'll do that once too often. It's only flesh and blood. Michael George Hartley. You're a philosopher. And you're balmy. Oh! It damn well hurts. Certainly it hurts. Well, what's the trick, then? The trick, William Potter, is not minding that it hurts. The trick, William Potter, is not minding that it hurts. for Covenant um probably the the um conversation I, I'll just like kind of cheat and say the conversations with uh David and Walter that I'll co-sign with Scout and be like that's really what the movie is yeah uh, at its core um you know there was some foreshadowing with uh, that I saw online uh when Walt or when David it's both fast better, I keep getting them confused. Um when David is playing Wagner, just the piano and no no chorus or orchestra, it like feels to complete him and then when he finally does it at the very end, it's like now the mission is um solidified and it's like the entire score can accompany the piano. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you on a colonization mission, Walter? 
because they are a dying species grasping for resurrection. They don't deserve to start again, and I'm not going to let them. Yet, they created us. Even the monkeys stood upright at some point. Some Neanderthal had the magical idea of blowing through a reed to entertain the children one night in a cave somewhere. Then, in the blink of an eye, civilization. And are you that next visionary? I'm glad you said it. Who wrote Ozymandias? Byron. Shelley. When one note is off, it eventually destroys the whole symphony, David. Uh, thanks, guys, for coming. It's been a Thank been you a so much yeah, for having us. Thank you for this is so fun. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, please come back. Um, sure. If you'd like to promote or plug anything else. <laughs> Uh, patreon.com slash honor zombie find my book on toby hooper's cinemophagy available in evil bookstores now um so get your your less evil bookstore to order it for you um and uh yeah yeah salem's lot freaked me as a kid thanks good movie good movie (laughs) gosh check please (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much yeah um, I have writing on film at the Boston Hassle, um, and my own personal medium. I'm on Twitter at Jack Draper's at Jack A. Draper and I'm on Letterboxd. Uh, next week is David Cronenberg's Scathing Critique of Hollywood, Naps of Stars with Marie Barty. And, uh, yeah, that was good. Although I didn't, I didn't, I think I've liked it the more I've thought about it. It's a big one like that. Uh, looking forward to that. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at T-Money Talks. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter at ETT Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Exiting2010s. You can email us at Exiting Through the 2010s at gmail.com and we will catch you next time on exiting through the 2010s.